this is Jordan Grace, and you're listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. BWB, this is One Nation Radio. You better get it right. Rich Ladder James Boyd came to give him life. The blackest wrestling podcast has come to kick all ass and drop it six feet if they kick it trash. Word, let me welcome y'all to something different. And if you dig it, man, you should let some friends listen. We be getting it in this on the regular, dude. Ravish and flow, but this shit rule. See, James don't rap, so I had to break it down. The whole network, man, we coming for the crown. Raps in the columns, I keep them both covered Making the beats too, so the listeners can bump it Hit us with the rating, yeah, I'm saying it's a five Before you hit a talk, bob your head side to side It's One Nation Radio, and this is the beginning It's Rich, and I'm here with James It's time to listen to One Nation The power of the this is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Uh, this is Kenny Omega. We're listening to One Nation Radio. Check it out, guys. These guys know what's up. Big Kenny Omega fans. That's all it counts to me. Goodbye and good night. Hey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this special edition of One Nation Radio. This is the 2020 review for WWE slash... NXT slash NXT UK slash 205 Live slash what what else they got? Evolve. What else they got? Uh, who knows? <laughs> We're not covering 205 Live. Raw, Raw Underground. Yeah, Raw, yeah, Raw <laughs> Underground is is on a brand inside of a brand. <laughs> so yes, 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 yes. Uh, and with us we have. Uh, the implications of wrestling headlines. He's actually wearing a wrestling headlines t-shirt to make sure that is no longer, uh, the name of a porn site that we, Rich, <laughs> Rich, so what's going on, Imp? Uh, it's a new year. It's 2021. It's, as we all know, that means that everything's finally over. We can all just return to life. That's how it works. Yeah. We'll, we'll go to wrestling shows. We'll go to WrestleMania. <laughs> it's all perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. 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 Back to what it was in February. Oh. It's been that long. It's been that long. Yes. But yeah, um, Looking forward to going, oh, well, taking the piss out of a lot of it, but oh, <laughs> just yeah. oh, remembering the show last year. A lot of it was piss taking. Then the odd time you, odd time you get to praise them when we do the top ten list, we'll shit yes. on them for about forty five minutes, fifty yes. minutes. Yes. <laughs> <And then> <laughs> <laughs> did some good things. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Rich, we we've never really talked about this before, but like you know. Uh, we once upon a time were contributors to uh, Lords Pay Radio. You more than me, but we both were contributors. We did the review shows for uh, Monday Night Raw and um, and also uh, Tuesday Night SmackDown. Uh, can you believe that we used to work for a porn site? <laughs> for, for, I, I, for, I have for, no idea. I have no idea. Like what? What is the what is the porn site gag? Lords of Pain. If I type, if you were to type in Lords of Pain into a into a Google search, you would assume that'd be a porn site that'll pop up, wouldn't you? I mean, I wouldn't assume that, but I could see like it, it, the the shoe fitting perfectly. Rich, <laughs> we're talking about WWE, so let's 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 do, let's talk about this, right? We at one point in time, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, and Paige were going to be in a faction called the what was it, the Submission Sisters or the, the Submission the Sorority? sorority. Oh, yes, and that yes. got changed because <laughs> it sounds like a porn name, and, and a porn <laughs> site actually existed with that name. Lords of Pain sounds like. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, we digress, and we have 45 minutes to get this done, or just about 50. So, um, 2020 WWE. Imp, what did, what did this year, uh, mean to you and what did this year feel like for you in in the e <laughs> a oh, i don't want to say visa i think i think it's more they were absolutely forced to finally focus on as in they couldn't just bring in old people because they could just come in and die so they had to <laughs> actually invest in their current crop i mean like i say that you know as we're recording this next week it's raw legends and, God, I didn't know as that. in yeah. this Monday, uh, and I'm as, as somebody asked me because I've been I've taken like two weeks off after New Year's and Christmas, just not done anything since TLC. And uh, I was asked like, "Are you uh, going to be doing Raw?" Like, it's Wrestle King. Oh, no, oh no, it's Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, I'm going to miss Raw Legends. What a shame! I've got to go for Wrestle Kingdom instead. <laughs> oh, that's such a shame that is. <laughs> but it's, like, uh, in terms of that year overall, it's been such a massive mix. Like Drew McIntyre winning the Rumble is like a statement of finally, I say finally moving on from Brock Lesnar, but let's be realistic. Come on, he loses and wins it back again. What's the point? <laughs> so it felt like a, that was a really good win. But then, then of course, pandemic happened and they were forced to finally focus on their current crop of guys and build those people up. And I feel like the Thunderdome era has been really, and the PC era has will long term be really good for them. Especially when you look at McIntyre and Reigns, they finally got two like top champions who, who feel like they're worth a damn. And how many years has that been since that's been felt? But the rest of the show is Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> like, uh, prime example right now, New Day versus Hurt Business. They are two of my favourite factions in WWE. They've both been absolutely killing it this year, especially Hurt Business. Uh, MVP's been a sensation on Raw. However, they have faced each other pretty much every single week since the draft. And that is their mid card. It's full of matches you've seen 27 times before it hits pay-per-view. That's that <laughs> good old like... WWE uh, 2K universe booking. <laughs> he just, yeah. yeah, to keep the feud going, you've got to face them the next week. Otherwise, the AIs can't handle it. Yep. <laughs> like, no. Yep. Just, like, we, can, we can handle it. <laughs> I remember. It sticks out more because of AEW. Obviously, because yeah. they they know this special thing where people have got this incredible ability to remember, and <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's yeah. I'll say a reset year for WWE is what it's felt like, but really they've had their hand forced by circumstances to finally invest in their crop of talent. But we'll see come February, come Royal Rumble, how true that is. Come the biggest rumor of Goldberg. <laughs> For God's sake, challenging Roman Reigns. We'll see. Do they have they changed or not? That's yeah. So kind of a reset to give you a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, man. I felt like, um, like you said, uh, I like Drew McIntyre's championship reigns. Uh, I like Roman Reigns being champion with the Tribal Chief. The rest of the promotion pretty much getting a bin from there. Um, I like Sasha Banks. Um, but even then they didn't let her have finishes in her matches for like three or four months. So, um, love EO, love Oscar. Um, but you're talking about the, them going to their bottom level of creativity of like just falling to the absolute depths of hell, like with the fiend. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, 
this is not a promotion for me in lots of ways. Like whether it's like, Hey, I want some top end wrestling. Oh, well you'll get it, but it might just come out of nowhere. It might be on a show that like you have no motivation to watch. It, it might be, um, you know, it, it might be, it might have all this dialogue in the middle of the match. You know, it might be turned into a Shakespearean performance. They may be trying to reshoot and edit the whole match. Like, so it's not actually a match. And it's like, it, you know, they, I think the, um, the pandemic unfortunately showed WWE's lack uh, of adaptability, um, in a lot of areas. But, um, there, I, I feel like there are people that would insist that they've, they've done a lot of positive things this year. And if you can, like, I think I would be a lot more negative if I didn't look so favorably upon their championship belts this year, like the top two belts. And NXT, don't even get me started. I, yeah. So, it's, it's really weird. Like, I have little to no interest in watching. Um, the television that the main roster puts on. Um, I will watch pay-per-views, uh, and I will watch any match that like pops that pops up on a recommended uh thing on Cage Match or Grapple or um someone talks about you know there was some great match. I will do that. Um, the problem is that almost never happens. <laughs> um, that, that almost never happens, and um for all of the good work they've done with Drew McIntyre's run from Royal Rumble all the way to uh, now and um, and what we got with the promo-wise from The Edge and the uh, Randy Orton feud um, and their greatest wrestling match ever thing and what we got out of Sasha and and this year and Bayley and Asuka um, quite frankly in the, in the Roman in the tribal chief Roman Reigns stuff with Jay Uso, which like I don't necessarily find necessarily as compelling as others do, but like I think the stuff that Roman is doing is great. Um, few and far between. Uh, I rarely ever hear anything that makes me want to tune in to watch uh, a particular special episode of the main roster. Anything. I, I just don't care. I've been burned out. I will watch pay-per-views. I will watch what's sitting my way, like I said, but that happens so rarely that it's like, what's the point? Um, like I, I am a, I am a, I guess a casual fan. I guess that will be a thing. I'm a casual fan of the main roster. NXT, I watch every week. Um, it, wrestling wise, it gives me what I want from the matches. Uh, this year it just was left, uh, it was, it was completely left broken because of the pandemic. Um, and it trying to keep up with the Joneses that is AEW Dynamite, and it and 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 you know comparing it to his previous self is a disappointment. Compare comparing it to AEW is a disappointment. It just it just it lost it it lost its sense of self this year. Trying to you know not do its show as Triple H told us it was going to be. It has turned into um it has turned into hot shotting. Um, and it has turned into, um, a, a hierarchy of old timers and OGs and, um, and people coming back for, re- for like fucking high school reunion and just running through people that were supposed to be, you know, higher ups in certain divisions. So from Charlotte to Finn Balor to Johnny Gargano to Tommaso Chamba to the Undisputed Era 
Um, it they all had quality in the stuff that they did, but it also left you feeling like, yeah, this is a sham of a brand promotion, whatever you want to call it, because of um, the fact that like this is a third brand slash de- developmental brand and while trying to do both at different times, a lot of times it feels like they're doing neither. Yeah, um, I, I think this was the year that um that NXT really like it became what Rich Ladder said it was in 2018. But now the the Emperor has no clothes. Well now the wrestling's not as good. Like you can live with the like you like look I'm not trying to romanticize, and I was never trying to romanticize NXT or any other promotions I watch, except for New Japan, and that got killed quick with the evil stuff, but this year. But, like, these are people are, these are businesses, right? And businesses have different objectives, and WWE's objective is to, they want to be in on every, every nickel bag that gets sold. I don't know why, but that's their thing. And so, yes, it, obviously this was, uh, this was indie storage, or NXT was an indie storage unit. But the fact that it became, with the pandemic shutting down, and they couldn't get anybody new because of someone like, because of AEW and New Japan being, you know, um, more or less shut off and contracts have been wrapped, ratcheted, ratcheted up and extended on their end is like, they have made themselves stale where as opposed to like it used to be, you know, NXT was we bring you here for two years, you do your thing, we treat it almost like you're, you know, you're almost like a one and done in college basketball to where like, you know, instead of you being some guy from high school that no one's ever seen before, you go to Duke or Carolina or Kansas or Kentucky, um, and you do your thing, you get yourself a brand, make yourself, you know, like a John Wall or Demarcus Cousins or or uh, Zion Williamson or something like that, and then you go to the league as a star. Now it's had to re- it's had a re- reverse effect. We see these people be great uh, for two for a year, year and a half, two years, and then they die. Because, and then because we know of what they're capable of, we expect something similar or 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 a fact se- or a reasonable facsimile of what they did to get over on NXT, and then they go. And do absolutely either like completely deconstruct somebody over time, like a ricochet, or they completely have them do something else. And we're just like, why the fuck? And in our minds, we're like, why the fuck would you do this? We just see, we saw the pathway to success somewhere else. It's like watching Anthony Davis, right, in Kentucky, um, beat his shot blocker defender guy. And then, like, the first thing you do when you get into the NBA and draft him is like, you make him point guard. It's like, why are you making him a point guard? That makes no fucking sense. And like, <laughs> That is, and, and that's the thing is like, if NXT were never on, on the network or anything else, like, yes, um, we would see less good wrestling out of the WWE. However, like, we wouldn't have these ideas of, you know, oh my god, like, they're doing this with this person that was doing something else on another brand, another, uh, another, you know, place in WWE. And it's, and like, it's hard to reconcile that in your mind of letting that go. And it's like, we see it so much and every time almost the vast majority of what we see is lesser than for these individuals so it feels like well then what the fuck you know what I'm saying like and that, that you know that hurt it for a long time and now we're seeing the, this part where WWE was like or NXT was like flat, flat out on all the promotions I, I follow on a consistent basis 
this promotion handled uh, or adjusted to COVID worse than anyone. Worse than Stardom, worse than New Japan, worse than uh, AEW, a lot worse than AEW. And like, the th- even if they were in the in the groove of doing this normal thing, like this clearly affected it and made it worse to where like, you know, they weren't hot shining like this until the pandemic came around. And when they had to start doing the stuff with the, with um, changing the camera angles for watching the matches, uh, you know, empty arena or no empty arena, fans or no fans, plexiglass or no plexiglass, chain link on the plexiglass, or no chain link on the plexiglass. Terra Dome or no Terra Dome, mini Terra Dome or no mini Terra Dome, all of this fight or under, raw underground. Uh, it was it was just a mess. Um, cinematic wrestling, like it worked one time, and then they went in like similar WWE going, fashion. Going to overboard they, they, it works with it. one time, so they keep doing it over to um, uh, what do you call it? diminishing diminishing returns. returns, and it's like. The you know the boneyard match worked because it was unintentionally funny and they were like well it's unintentionally funny and went crazy so let's try intentional funny and they're not really that good with with intentional comedy so like for me it was just like I felt like this year was the main you know like you said like if not for a certain number of courageous men and women <laughs> to to carry to carry the show on the main <laughs> roster um. And, you know, NXT, just, you know, regardless of whatever you want to say about it, like, it's always going to be a match factory. I don't, I I don't really know what to do. Like, you know, the roster positioning is all over the place in the main roster. Um, and quite frankly, the men's, uh, division NXT. Um, like, the only thing you really can look at is, like, the women's NXT division for roster positioning. And, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, uh. Well, uh, uh, Vesting Headlines, we're doing the end of year award stuff. Uh, I oh, that's what's coming out. So that is with myself and Sir Sam are recording that show on January 9th. So that'll be next weekend we're recording that. Mm-hmm. So we'll have our final results eventually. So it's given me a sneak peek. And I think the most telling thing about the results so far is a complete lack of NXT just right. anywhere. Be it Damn. top male wrestler, female wrestler, promotion, any show, they're not there at all. And because we're, because with the voting, we open it up to all the people who visit the site. There were just no nominations for anything. I think the only guy who's doing all right is Karrion Cross for rookie. I think he's the only one. And obviously be between like him and matches. Dominic. That's five matches. <laughs> but mm. that's it. No one else. Like no other award. And I think, I feel like that's really, really telling. Just this year, they've completely fallen off the radar, and I cover NXT for uh, for everything headlines more quite often with uh, James as well to help me through the pain. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I've seen the card and I've been like, you know what? I won't subject James to this. <laughs> It'll be alright. It's it amazing that you've even seen the card. Sometimes, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh, I I took one look at Halloween Havoc and I went, I'm not that mean. <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave it off. I'll cover that. I'll do that in 30 minutes when <laughs> in the show. As like, yeah, it was. It's yeah, so somebody who's been covering NXT every week since oh, I can't remember. I think it was July. I think it was end of July. Sounds whenever it'll be on my Skype calls. Whenever I last first had James on, and it was around that time. I've been watching it every single week and covering it. And I put out a column earlier in December about how NXT's just fallen apart. I mean, we've hit on every single note I put in the column. Right. But it was it was about how going into war games, I just didn't care. And like 
coming out of, I didn't care for it going in and coming out was like, I mean, the EO in a trash can, that's a good meme. Right. <laughs> aside from that, there's... An ominous story. In yeah. ominous for, like, the future whenever she does get to the main roster. Yeah. That, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't immediately become a meme. <laughs> Something like that. It's like, surely it will have been. But yeah, it's... I feel like that's really just emblematic of what's happened with NXT this year. I just didn't really care for a lot of it. It became a lot of throwing cool stuff at the wall and we had like three ladder matches in the space of four weeks or something ridiculous like that. It's just... Yeah, yeah, they're giving us sometimes really entertaining matches, but do I really... Outside of the women's division, there isn't really much that I'm caring about at all. Uh, I'm kind of repeating what we've already said, really. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fallen off this year. Like, I mean, if you... I mean, we could do a mini dive through the main roster and then go do a mini dive through NXT. But, um, you know, Royal Rumble, McIntyre wins the Rumble. Like, the first off, the, the event is just like, everything feels so super secondary because, like, it's fall, or at least in, over in America here because of the death of Kobe Bryant. Everything feels flat. Like, I, I went to a watch party uh, with some of me and Rich's friends and I was, like, sitting there watching. And I was just like, why am I even here? Why? Like, I mean, uh, you know, you got the Becky Lynch and Oscar match, very good ass match. Um, you get the Royal Rumble, which is the Royal Rumble event in itself because of Brock being in front end of it and him like throwing around people and, and everything else. And you know, it, it 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 changed the status quo of a, of a Royal Rumble match. Like people think it's like one of the greatest Royal Royal Rumble matches of all time, and like that's you know, I don't know because I think all Royal Rumble matches for the most part, you know, they're they're not. They're 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 fraud wrestling match. So it's like it's, it's for me is I'm I'm over it. Um, but yeah, like it was a success. Absolutely, McIntyre got super over. He threw Brock Lesnar out on his ass. Um, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about Royal Rumble? Because I, I, I'm you know yeah, I got nothing for you. Like um, oh Charlotte. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah, women's war game. Or women's war. Game. Women's war. Women's um, they bring in. They bring up Bianca Belair. She had. She eliminates like ten people. She's incredible um, in it. Shanna Baszler eliminates a few people too in shorter spam. She's not the Iron Woman like uh, Bianca was. Uh, which leads up to the final two is Bianca. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry Shanna and uh, Charlotte. Um, they they tease a spot where she's gonna skin the cat and throw skin the cat and throw um, Shayna out. Shayna survives it the first time, and then they do the same spot again when then, like Shayna gets thrown out and makes her like a dumbass. And Charlotte wins. I think she came out of. Did she come out of thirty? Uh, Shayna was thirty. Okay, okay, never mind. No idea for Charlotte. Though. So Charlotte comes in late though, and uh, she ends up mm. winning it. And we're just like, okay, so that sets up either like the the tenth. Charlotte and Becky match that we've seen in the last like year, year and a half, and it's in like it's one thing when it's like these matches are lower on the car, but like no, these were like the things that carried 2018 SmackDown to the end of the year, or or that you know that last third of the year, um, those two fighting each other to, to tooth and nail, and then all right, then you look at the other champion, oh the other champion is Bailey, Charlotte and Bailey just went out there and wrestled each other all the entire fall of 2000 um or sorry the summer and fall of 2019 like so these are two stale matchups so what the hell are we going to do lo and behold i think the very next day on monday charlotte comes out i don't know what she was going to say but obviously it didn't matter it gets cut off re ripley comes out and says come ch- come challenge for the third for th- for the for the i'm the champion i want you 
uh, Royal Rumble winner to challenge uh, for my belt. She challenges a challenger. And it was like, yo, what From is there. this? Why? Who? Who? <laughs> I get what you're trying to do. You're you're pumping a main roster person into importing them into NXT because you're still chasing after Dynamite. Um, and you know it it was successful I during Survivor. The wrong Series. one, it, right? And it was successful during Survivor Series, so I will give you that. But the fact that you chose Charlotte after. Your hardest core fan base has told you they don't give a fuck about Charlotte in that way for two years now. It's just like, wow, what a tone deaf message. And sure enough, <laughs> you know, she came, she showed up on NXT, she popped 7,000 viewers, which is a, <laughs> which is just a disappointment. It's, it's embarrassing that they, had, they subjected Charlotte to that. Um, and then she proceeded to, and every, every, um, encounter except for one when Bianca in, uh, Rhea were together and they jumped her. She she whooped in every physical competition, Bianca and Rhea, then went into WrestleMania, had a great match, the best pure wrestling match at WrestleMania, easily by a country mile. A match I gave four flat stars to. She taps out Rhea Ripley. They had a chance to make a new person that that you can have a program with Charlotte in in um in Charlotte on the main roster. Some, it could have been the Kevin Owens, John Cena, 2015 thing. They decided not to. She taps out even, and they, they, they she's on NXT, and like I said, the 7,000 rating. Um, the EO interaction because they had because EO had won during WrestleMania time, had won the, that ladder match for contendership. They had that match that we all knew was going to a smaz, and sure enough, it, it goes like seven great minutes. And Miss Moonsault from the top rope to the floor. Kendo Stick comes out. Rhea comes and makes a save for EO. And that's how, and that was their road to get to in your house. And you're just like, and that really was like the, the, the beginning of them shooting you, hot shotting you cool stuff that you would want to see that ultimately is going to end up in some type of smalls or something unsavory that you just like, you're fucking me. I know, I, I, I know what this is. You're about to fuck me. You're dangling this carrot, and then, then I go reach for the carrot, and it's a dildo instead. I don't want the dildo. Don't do that. That's gross. <laughs> it's that NXT do that a lot now. Um, from oh, yeah. there, I feel like we. Uh, I, I do want to talk about the mumble and that stuff, but yeah, uh, one of the weeks, one of these past few weeks, I was just like, almost every single segment or match was like that. Which I thought was it's it's gotten worse and worse as the years gone on. Uh, where we are now, it's uh, especially since they started doing the specials in between the takeovers. So it's <laughs> as soon as they started doing that, it's just well we've got to build this next thing in three weeks. Let's do the schmoz finish. <laughs> it's just uh, everything's got a screwy ending. You don't get any finishes until the special, but then the special sets at the takeover, so you don't really get an ending at a lot of that stuff as well. It's, uh, yeah. It's oh, it's like the you get the same match now two or th- like three times within like two months. It's got the main roster problem. I, w- I want hey. to talk about um, the tribal chief Roman Reigns before sure. we run out of time. Um, mm. So for years and years on this very podcast, we have railed and told them to turn Roman Reigns heel because it would be awesome. He would figure it out. People would like him, and y'all would finally get where you want to get with him. So when he's thirty five years old. He finally gets to turn. Uh, and what do you know? 
It works out. Splendid reviews from everyone. And the guy's a natural. We all knew it. And it's it's funny how he got to do this, but there's no fans in the arena to like really give him the booze they wanted to give him for all these years. And for me, it's incredible that this guy lasted this, like he got to do it actually, because I, I wonder what was the thing that finally just made them say, fuck it. Probably no. Yeah. Oh, probably no gate. <laughs> probably no gate. They were like, we, we we don't. We're under no obligation to try to draw any house shows. We don't give a fuck. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't he say the same thing? Apparently, Charlotte's told them where it was like, I, I want to do it on my terms. I want to have a planned out story or arc or character or something. I don't want to just come back and you have nothing for me. I want a plan because uh, uh, to me about Charlotte, that's what the main issue was with it, and it screamed it. Shayna Baszler was meant to win the Rumble. Right. They were like, no, let's have Charlotte win it. She's a big name. We can have her win to do WrestleMania thing. Cool. But I mean, Shayna's still wrestling Becky. Right. So what the fuck is Charlotte doing? <laughs> now she's <Right>. the winner. <laughs> so now what? And then and you end up with the rare Ripley thing. Who wins that? Well, I don't know. There's not a plan here. Charlotte wins it. Now what? Well, I don't know. There's no plan. <laughs> so it just kind of topples onto one thing or the other. Um, yeah. And Roman Reigns, yeah, him coming back and absolutely killing it. And you're seeing the, kind of the promise of that like a character with an arc with a plan even though he may not have like opponent plans and arcs he's got a character one for him with Jey Uso and all of that stuff so there's actually something to work with and my god it actually works Uh, the benefit of like that compared to Sasha and Bailey, where Sasha and Bailey they want them to feud that's it they haven't really got (laughs) anything and uh, I get to see um, because the Fed defense go for the Bailey Sasha story when criticize when criticism in comparison to Hangman and Omega because mm-hmm. Hangman and Omega uh, I'm assuming you've already talked about this quite a bit. <laughs> with I, the, uh, I've, never, I've never heard the two compared to each other. Oh, no, right. I'd, I'd be interested yeah. in hearing it. Neither am I. Yeah, so it's specifically about a tag team that have been together forever and uh, for a while and they're bubbling under the surface about splitting. Then they do split and what happens next? AW kind of bubbled under the surface. There's the split, and there's the like emotional consequences of the split, or the reasons for it. Kenny Omega goes straight for that title, and Hangman Page just like the personal repercussions of it all, and him possibly joining the Dark Order, and uh, all of that storyline coming off of it. Bailey Sasha, as soon as they split, they are immediately feuding with each other. Um, I think Bailey takes out Sasha with a chair, right. does the uh, uh, does the spot with the chair over she did. Yeah, and then she's back in a week or so. It's like, yeah. all right, feuding it within two weeks at the pay per view. Now, now they've done the match. Well, now what? Well, now Bailey doesn't have any opponents. You've done the match, <laughs> so, also, so like, now Bailey's not going to be part of the year. Like they did mm. this in October. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, as far away from WrestleMania as you mm. can get. And then you compare that to Hangman Omega. It's still building. It's still bubbling. You're still getting everyone right. excited to see the match. Whilst, where is that excitement now for Bailey Sasha? And that was the comparison I was seeing, the Fed defense of Bailey Sasha being this fantastic, amazing feud. And I was like, but at the exact same time, is this feud done better <laughs> happening right now? Right. So, and I don't, yeah. and like, the thing for me is, maybe in a vacuum, like the 2020 stuff is so great as far as a story, but like, if you, 
are a person that remembers stuff and you compare it and you also have the knowledge of what they tried, what they did and they ultimately didn't pull the trigger on 2018. It's like, nah, man, it's a bunch of rambling nonsense. Yeah. Like maybe it's not fair to mm-hmm. even add that because like, you know, we got quote unquote different bookers in the way, but Vince was still there. We still had to watch that shit. And it's like, Y'all teased and fought each other tooth and nail um, and beat each other up backstage and ultimately, like, became the tag champions, um, the, the women's tag champions. Y'all lose the belt. Sh- uh, Sasha goes away for months. Sasha turns heel. Bailey then turns heel. Um, they're on separate brands, I believe, by that point in time. They end up on the same brand. They, they te- they, they're passive-aggressive actually no they're buddy buddy except for Bailey is like being um a shitty friend and fucking up stuff for Sasha and Sasha doesn't like she acts like she doesn't watch the show or review her anything she does <laughs> which is like the thing we talk about inner circles like you can't pull that on, on us we watch the show and like <laughs> so Bailey keeps doing all this stuff and in the second like they lose those tag titles and that, you know, and then you throw in like the stupid, the stupid finish with the Oscar and, and Kyrie thing where the, the, the right mm-hmm. Kyrie off TV. And it's like, well, that is attached to this story. And it's like, that shit didn't, that shit wasn't good either necessarily, even though I liked it. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it was, I liked it for the fact that it made uh, the babyface make a choice that was like sacrificing, um, her belt for her friend. Like, I like that idea in a vacuum. I don't like it in actual, like the actual execution fully, fully realized, but whatever. Um, so like all that's attached to this stuff. And there's like, nah, but if you pick off like these five things and it is really great. And I'm like, well, I got to pick off five things. The fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and then, um, and then you I, look I can't at, say I've, I've, I've ever on, heard a comparison. Rich one like, thing. You, you, then you gotta throw in, like, what their, their matches were, like, you get pilmanization, they're fighting over this one particular chair, their match, and we talked about this on Twitter, about, like, their match is based around this one particular fucking chair, and then in the middle of the match, they use six, or five or six other chairs, and then, like, the finish relies on them having to go out the ring to grab this, that, the, 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 the heel turning chair, like, I'm sorry, I don't remember when, like, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, fought in, the, in all the matches in 2014 and 2015 they kept going back to the chair that like Sephiroth's originally put across Ambrose and Reigns' back I don't recall that yeah yeah um, and, and I've seen like instances of this like done well um, Kenny Omega and John Moxley the first time he, he DDT's Kenny through the glass that glass shows back up in the match or whatever and yeah. they pull it out a bag yeah. like those feel like there's not enough of a difference between a chair with some spray paint on it and a regular chair. I'm sorry. Like it, it ain't, <laughs> yeah. you know, the first hell on a cell match. Yeah. With, yeah. with the chairs, like you crap me with a chair, screw me out of title. I, the baby face eventually comes out or comes back and cracks him over the head and, and makes him blade with, uh, with a gigantic chair shot. And then Kane comes out like, We've seen yeah. all this stuff tied together. Trip, how many times, how many matches have we seen with Triple H on a fucking sledgehammer? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think um, of some more stuff that... I mean, let's talk about... Mac- let's talk about you talk about Roman, let's talk about McIntyre. Yeah, McIntyre, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think McIntyre is the classic world champion uh, title, title reign that Vince likes to do. This is Shawn Michaels in 96. This is a Hogan title reign. This is John Cena in 2005. This is your big jack babyface muscle champion uh, and 
remove Sean from the Jack big part, but it's the same style of thing. Like uh, there's a heel factory for you to run through. There's a big heel at the end, and then you may lose it to him, but ultimately you get it back. I thought it was booked incredibly well. McIntyre got accepted in a way Roman Reigns never has. I have some ideas as to why on that, but um, it, it, <laughs> but he, uh, I think you know for what he was asked to do. I don't think you can find someone that they had available for raw to do it better than what he did. Um, do I have like reservations on like where he's going? I'm, I'm very interested to see where he's going, but um, I think, I think he knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah. Um, totally. He's, he's absolutely slain it. I would say his, the matches themselves when they get to pay for you, they're very sports entertainment. They're very, very WWE. McIntyre's matches are not rich latter pro wrestling. <laughs> it's just, right. and, and I like yeah. him. And, and like, mm. like the match, I'm thinking about the match he had with Lashley. Like, mm. I thought it was awesome until the finish. Yeah. Like, um, the Ziggler one, like the Styles mm. match. Like, I think the Seth Rollins match. Yeah. Mm. Like, even Roman Reigns, like, his match as Survivor Series. That is, like, at the end of it, I was just like, I was thoroughly sports entertained. That was WWE, like, beat after beat. And not as bad as the greatest match of the year, <laughs> Edge <of> Norton. <laughs> but it was still, it was still like sports entertainment stuff. It was the WWE things that you come to expect. And the, it works, does it really well. Randy Orton, as his adversary, yes, they wrestled a little too up too much from like July to November, end of November. <laughs> just straight, no other opponent. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. But, well, the matches themselves, I enjoyed most of the part. They've been, it's the WWE style, like done really well. And McIntyre's really risen up. And like, I think they might be heading to running Lashley versus McIntyre again for the Rumble. And I'm generally looking forward to it. Like, I would generally be up for that. Well, they pretended the match. Yeah. yeah, they, or unless it's a Raw special. I've not kept up with that, actually. I've again, not watched Raw in two weeks. It's been a, it's, <laughs> it's been a nice time. Uh, and yeah. I feel like uh, he's been an amazing champion. Obviously, him being Scottish is a little bit different because when he won the Rumble, to have a Scottish winner of the Rumble like in the pubs and bars in the UK, back when you can go to pubs and bars, <laughs> there were people just crammed inside. And, uh, yeah, just it, it's in some of those bars and pubs, uh, people were going crazy in Scotland seeing Drew McIntyre win, which it was a massive moment. And of course, it's a, there's a joke over here that whenever a Scottish person achieves something, they're British. Yes. <laughs> when, when that, <laughs> so well done for Britain. Oh my god! <laughs> and when, like Andy Murray, whenever Andy Murray loses in the tennis, oh, he's Scottish. He's not English. He's Scottish. It's fine. <laughs> he's Scottish, <laughs> but he wins. Oh, he done it for Great Britain. <laughs> well done. So yeah, uh, but yeah, so it's great to see uh, a British champion <laughs> in Drew McIntyre. <laughs> he's been fantastic. Keep it on him till Mania. I mean, I don't know who we feud with. Oh, I'm, again, I'm just expecting the worst, but yeah, been a really solid all the way to Mania, uh, where my date is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, trying to think who else we can. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, at this point, we can talk about like Randy Orton Edge in like Oscar and then we can be out of here. Um, or we can get to um, our um, matches, top 10 matches or whatever else. Um, yeah, I, I think. This is what I'll say about Asuka. Beginning of the year with Raw and McIntyre, or sorry, her and McIntyre carried the the, the day, and it, like especially especially after like Becky left, like it was like I don't know what are we doing, I don't know what are we doing, but like they they 
one of the things for all you want to say about Heyman, he did a great job for about a year of protecting Asuka um, to get her to Royal Rumble, and they had a great match at uh, at Royal Rumble. Um, they and like from there, Asuka just like just stuck around in a way that like you never thought they would ever do with her. Like she wasn't like they kept her busy doing other stuff, and like especially she came in really handy uh, when the pandemic officially hit, and she they would like use her for like guest commentary just because you know she has a charisma of like ten wrestlers. Like she just goes out there and dances and yells and screams and cuts people out in Japanese, and it was awesome. And then she would have these she would come out here and have good matches with uh, like the other good wrestlers in in that division, and like. She kept raw. Her, she kept raw for when Becky and Charlotte were gone, and like, like her run from that time from the pandemic dropping until SummerSlam was like. You look back and it's like she was a legitimate wrestler of the year contender for WWE until and up until that moment with all the matches she had with her tagging with Kyrie, her matches with um with Bailey, her matches with Sasha. She did. She did a really good job. So, uh, shouts out to her. Um, I guess we can get to unless y'all have uh, points that we can get to Randy Orton and Slash Edge. Uh, they, uh, no, nah, Oscar like tons of charisma. Um, glad she kind of got something like she's. I think she's still in search of like a signature win. Myself, I agree. I agree. Um, and hopefully they they won't keep treating her like the interloper among the four horsemen. Or four <laughs> horsemen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yep. You have anything or? Uh, I, w- I would say on uh, Asuka, she absolutely kicked ass throughout the course of the year. Yeah. And uh, it's, one, again, one of those wrestlers where oh, I really should have been really excited for Sasha versus Asuka at Survivor Series, but we'd already seen it 27 right. times right. <laughs> over the course of the summer. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's because um, uh, Skit's a writer, former main page writer for... Uh, well, I can't say lots of pain, for wrestling headlines. I'm wearing the feckin' T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, he hit me up the wish list, and like my number one thing was stop running the same match every single week <laughs> to yeah. build a few universe AI. That's what we called it earlier. <laughs> yeah, like you don't have to do it. <laughs> it's fine. I will remember. You don't have to give me street profits versus Andrade and Gaza again. <laughs> okay. yeah. Right, uh, yeah. Well, right now, street profits versus Rude and Ziggler. So I don't watch SmackDown, but oh god, yeah, it's uh, yeah, running that every time I go to the photos because of course I need them to make the Photoshop stuff. I, I see that they're feuding still. Uh, every week has been another interaction. It's like <laughs> same mistake. <laughs> you have no tag division. <laughs> you have to run the same match. Even uh, JV was just shouting it, and I was like, "Where are the other teams?" <laughs> I was like, just, no, interrupts them. <laughs> so yeah, oh, okay, that's so- my parting parting words. Okay, yeah, um, so I guess we have to talk about Randy Orton, and we're talking about Randy Orton, we have to, um, his stuff with Edge beginning of the year, promo stuff was like some of the best promo work for virtually anything that we've seen over the last, like, or, or decade in WWE, um, just incredible stuff, incredible, you know, it can only be done if you have these people that are stars that you have lived with or watched over, um, a period of time, um, and you know it you know obviously it helps a lot that you know they've done the stuff where you know I don't want to say he's a part of media but he's a part of the podcast community stuff with Edge and Christian and they've had Orton and they talked about some of the good old times and that's a lot of and you know a lot of people have heard, listened to that stuff so like it, it a lot of that stuff felt so earned that like you know 
that you can actually like hear Randy Orton say something as much as I love Edge because he saved my life more than you, Beth Phoenix. And he's a heel after he just laid out Edge and he's talking in front of his wife. And then it's so incredible that like the crowd cheers this fucking evil guy that, that just heard a dude with a bad neck. Like it's one of the most fantastic magic tricks I've ever seen in my life. And I was with that crowd. I was like, yeah, he does love him more than, <laughs> more than <you laughs> this is incredible. So I just, you know, um, the, the, the WrestleMania match, it Throw did it not work. River. It was way Throw too long. Um, it on fire. Yeah. But you know, you know, the joke about the greatest wrestling match ever, if they had just, pre-taped it and then give it that tag we'll all just say yep great match four and a quarter and then call it a day or whatever else to go on from there but there was so much attached to it and and whatever else but i overall um i really enjoyed that and i think that like you know randy orton the fact that like he became this promo seemingly out of nowhere is like we we've all talked about randy orton for years like being a up and down promo guy or just a or just a boring promo guy and for him to do this this year was just like how did you pick what made you decide where did this come from <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i don't know what y'all have to say about about orton but go ahead um yeah he's had a knockout year from yeah from the edge stuff to the mcintyre stuff i'd say i'd say even the fiend but that's mm. not I'll say what's happened so far isn't his fault. <laughs> said, he's the actor. I won't blame the actor for <laughs> what's happened so far. I will say the memes of from this week's Raw have been amazing. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I, again, didn't watch it, so uh, I've only seen the memes, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting I, one. I don't know what caused Randy Orton to get motivated. Maybe it was like hmm. he looked around like after his WrestleMania program was, was essentially like set in stone and he got there, but then he looked around like, well, they ain't like, there's all these people that Vince don't trust. Who's he going to trust? I guess I better like make sure I'm in shape. I guess I better like, you know, bring my a game and remember all my promos and like, just kind of, he seemed like he, uh, like, like they looked around and it was just reliable old Randy Orton. And then he just did a good job with a lot of the stuff he was given. And then he got built up as like a big heel over the summer. I thought him and drew is a very underrated feud. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm not Randy Orton's biggest fan. Like I can talk about, I can, if you want, we can go all day, but we don't have that kind of time today. But, um, I think you've got to add this year, like, you know, start talking about like his Hall of Fame resume, like this year helps it a lot. It you talking for Observer Hall of Fame? Yeah. Okay, so I'm with you, but only because he brought stuff to the table that he had never displayed before. Like you know, if you want to talk about this is a dude that was born, that that, that showed up 20, 15, 20 years too late to the party for the way he wrestles, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, but the fact that he came out and became like a top promo this year was like, yo, what? Like, this was, this is like the biggest, this is one of the biggest knocks against him was the fact that like, 
He can be a very pedestrian, a lot of times boring promo that occasionally will come out the woodwork and cut a fiery promo that gets you off guard. And then this year he was like, I got something for you. And I, I don't know if that's because of motivation, because of edge. I don't know if that's because he's in a different cha- part of his career where he's like, if I don't cut promos and I have the same matches I've, I've, I've been having for, you know, for, for the majority of my career, maybe it's over for me. Um, and you know, Another another part is a big motivating factor. All them damn kids, right? Yeah, like you know, he he he. What his uh, his he has what three two or three step kids now. So it's like the motivation is a little different. Like when you got that college fund has been you know quad or you know quadrupled, so or tripled. So like yeah, I I, I I'm happy for it that it turned out this way. I think that a lot of for one of the people that we talked about, like WWE adjusting to uh, the pandemic, he's one of the people that adjusted the best because his promo style, while was great when we still had a crowd, got better once the crowd wasn't there because it was like he was staring directly into the camera and a low tone of voice lets you know that like I, you know, I, I will, I will fucking kill one of y'all. <laughs> playing with y'all so you know and like i i am the best and if it takes me having to murder rick flair's old ass i will do so like it so it was it definitely he definitely was one of the few people that adapted best at in the e and i don't know that if he could have done that if it wasn't him being that level of star and that level of trust with vince because if it was i don't know um biggie langston biggie i'm sorry Big E. like i don't think he gets that kind of rope even though Big E should have all the rope in the world given that like he him and Xavier and Kofi have been merch machines forever, but you get my point. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess we move on to our top 10 matches. Um, so, uh, will you start off, start us off? Right. Just getting them up. Right. So, um, again, there's a severe lack of a certain brand (laughs) on this one, really, especially the final five, but, Number 10 was one a lot of people liked. Uh, Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly from NXT. Was it just called TakeOver, that one? I think that one. No, that was 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 TakeOver 31. That was it, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's. I I can say it was a very good match in that style, but it's not a style I love, love. Uh, A lot of people do. It's one of those uh, kind of main events that I would class as, yeah, hardcore wrestling fan might enjoy it, but I call it extremely niche. (laughs) <laughs> Does it, there's not much sports entertainment in there, for example. Um, and I would say there is some in like the Akada Omega matches. There is some kind of sprinkled in. And I need a bit of that. And Bally O'Reilly didn't have any of that for me, but it was a solid match of that type. So it makes my top 10. And you'll see by the next match, I'm immediately struggling. Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles from SmackDown for <laughs> the Intercontinental Champ- uh, Championship. Uh, I had a blank spot for ages. I was like, well, that, that was a fine match. That, that'll make it. <laughs> so that's in at number nine. Um, there were, and there were quite a few matches where it's like, yeah, one of the matches was good in this really long feud, like New Day Hurt Business. But they did so many, they just gelled together, and I don't remember what match was good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, uh, Sasha Banks Asker as well is the same issue. Uh, number eight. Uh, war games between Undisputed Era and uh, Pat McAfee and his Merry Men. That was a just a decent war games match. I, again, it's my top ten, and I'm calling them decent, which is I think it's a bit of an like there wasn't the match quality wasn't especially high this year. Uh, seven, Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns. I was thoroughly sports entertained. 
that's <laughs> my best recommendation for it. Uh, six, getting a bit more serious. Keith Lee versus Dominic Dijakovic from TakeOver Portland. Cannot believe that's this year. That, for me, that is insane. <laughs> <laughs> this match was this year in front of a white hot live crowd. Uh, those two doing their PWG match on a WWE stage. Fantastic to see. Really, really enjoyed that match. And now look at them. <laughs> Just look at them now. Uh, uh, so top five, uh, Sasha Banks versus Asuka. They had a lot of really good matches over the course of the year. But the ones over the summer just blend together. So I've gone with their final match in Survivor Series. That was at least a bit more separate. And I, I, I really enjoy those two wrestling together. It's feel like my top ten here, they're very personable. They're like they're my top ten. They're not the top ten. Right. So I I really enjoy Banks and Asuka's chemistry. And this is the most recent that I can remember. Uh, number four, Becky Lynch versus Asuka from the Royal Rumble. Again, can't believe that was this year. <laughs> but the rematch between those two was fantastic. <laughs> I feel like that'll be forgotten in a lot of top ten lists just because it was felt like it was so long ago. But it was a really, really good match, a fantastic follow-up. Uh, number three, Sasha Banks versus Bailey from Hell in a Cell. I really like the innovation that Sasha Banks brings similarly to all of her Hell in a Cell matches. Uh, Becky Lynch uh, from a couple of years ago, that's another standout. And for me... Those two killed it. I'm not a massive fan of when the creative stuff kind of kicks in towards the end of the matches. But for the most part, really enjoyed what they brought to the table for Head in a Cell. Uh, number two, Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns for at TLC. That was a fantastic table ladders and chairs match. Um, one of the best that incorporated a story and wasn't just stunt stuff. I feel like TLC matches often are doing things rather than me caring about what's happening and this match actually made me care for like the first time since I don't know Undertaker Edge <laughs> trying to think it's been a long time since <laughs> I cared <laughs> uh, but yes yeah, a really solid one and uh, my w- match of the year is the men's Royal Rumble match from the Royal Rumble it's just a solidly booked Rumble and for some reason when you book your Rumble well for me that and it has so many positives spinning off of it, it creates so many names especially with Drew McIntyre there's no complaint for like yeah you nailed it well done you've built a star <laughs> you nailed your rumble match it's and the women's rumble match is a great example of that not working i didn't i did not enjoy the women's at all the men's flipping nailed it well done <laughs> this is how good it can be so are <laughs> so, you saying uh fire the women uh you know. <laughs> women's re- in, I think I think we're calling it here women's wrestling's dead right it's dead <laughs> Rich yeah so I'll, I'll just run through my 10 um, uh, number 10 I got Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns the Survivor Series I thought it was um, a great presentation of two champions at their peaks I would say uh, right in the middle of their careers same age same look same everything. <laughs> uh, number nine, I'm going to go with uh, Dominic Dijakovic and Keith Lee at uh, TakeOver uh, Portland. Yep. Uh, this is where they let it out the bag. Um, lots of crazy shit and all the stuff they don't let Keith Lee do anymore. Uh, what they've done with Keith Lee is an, actual, is an abomination that we did not get a chance to cover. Just wanted to mention that. Uh, number eight, uh, Finn Balor versus Damian Priest at NXT TakeOver. Uh, I think I'm the high man on this this match. Like That was in your late. house. That was TakeOver in oh, your house. My fault. Gotcha. Um, see? Um, <laughs> uh, Damian <laughs> Priest and Finn Balor. Uh, I thought this was... Finn Balor's best match in ages, uh, like as far as like top top end work, 
and Damian Priest uh, showed that he's a, you know, if they let him, he's somewhat a force to be reckoned with. Uh, number seven, I've got Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly uh, for the NXT title. They beat the holy hell out of each other um, and did it in they almost like, you know, they say, you know, just keep it simple, you know, and that and whatever. It was simple, but people still got hurt. So, like, even that, like, that's why I'm like, I don't care what you do in your match. Drop, fall on your neck. I don't care. Like, it ain't me. Like, so, uh, Finn Balor had a broken jaw in the, in the fallout, but, um, this is a good example of them actually trying a new person with Kyle O'Reilly. But, you know, he's part of that undisputed era. It's a little long in the tooth. Um, uh, up next, Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher in the fight pit. Very unique presentation. Uh, made Thatcher look like a killer, sent Matt Riddle out of the territory. Fortunately, I ain't really got much for you else on Thatcher after that because they beat him like a drum every time uh, after that. Um, number five, Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens from TLC. Super match. Um, the big dogs finally realized I always thought Kevin Owens was Roman Reigns with the alignments with, uh, with Owens as a face and Reigns as a heel would go off swell and it did because Kevin Owens is just someone the audience has always loved even when he's a piece of shit uh, <laughs> and Kev- and Roman Reigns was someone they didn't like even when he was a good stand up guy so uh, they've always had great chemistry uh, number four the NXT men's war games I thought this was like incredible uh, I thought they put a lot of thought into this they stuck to the tradition of war games they weren't trying to have the baby faces not have the advantage or they weren't trying to give the baby faces the advantage. Uh, this was, you know, the solid work, even McAfee and his introduction, you know, NXT went far better than anybody could, could have predicted. Number three, Roman Reigns versus Jay Uso class of champions. Um, the first time they, they ran it. I thought this was such a gripping uh, story in the match. It was the first time they did the heavy dialogue stuff. So I hadn't grown tired of it or hand waved it. I thought it worked extremely well. The present, you talk about presentation, uh, bringing, uh, Alpha and Sika and, and everybody else out to essentially like, yeah, you know, they know where they bread is butter with the tribal chief. And, um, you know, Jay Uso's not, it wasn't a special like wrestling match or anything, but this was like presentation at its finest, uh, onto some special wrestling. Jordan Devlin versus Tyler Bate coming in at number two for me. Uh, NXT UK. Takeover uh, in the beginning of the year, the days we had crowds, as Imp said, I thought that these two wrestled the fuck out of each other. This was like um, it would have fit right at Wrestle Kingdom. It was I, I gave this one five stars at the time. I thought you know people like to pass that gift around of them you know doing the punches and and rank on the match. But I'm like yo, that match was fucking incredible. I don't know what the fuck y'all talking about. So number one though, Walter versus Ilya Dragunov NXT UK. So NXT UK with the top two. <laughs> on your boys list um just an absolute gripping encounter that i was watching with people who were actively trying to distract me for the match and i was able to ignore them like because what i was watching i felt was just so gripping i knew the result i knew everything and it's walter of course he's gonna fucking win but however this was like this is the king of the empty arena era like as far as like what you're looking for, like, as far as, like, yo, there's no fans. It doesn't matter. Like, uh, the, the empty building style match, like, this is it right here. Uh, I'm sure there was some stuff in, like, n- you know, Noah that was great or All Japan. But, like, yo, um, 
<laughs> just like Ilya Dragunov, no matter what he did, he didn't have enough. Sorry, it's Walter. <laughs> okay, so uh, number ten for me, uh, NXT. I think it was either night one or two of Great American Bash, the Tough White Man match, Oni Lorcan versus Timothy Thatcher <laughs> in a seven in a seven minute old grizzled bastard match. Oh my god, they. He put him in a sugar hole. That's the best way to explain it. The, I haven't seen someone actually get put in a sugar hole in I don't know how long, but Thatcher put this man in a sugar hole. He out, he out grappled him. Uh, Oni came back with strikes and chops and, and face chops and, and neck chops. It was an, it was just an awesome match of brutality. Um, number 10. I'm sorry, number, number 9. Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez NXT. I want to say that was like October or 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 November. Can't remember. Don't care. It was the same exact night that had Warlow versus Adam Cole. And when you when we go to um, the AEW version, you that match will also be making it too. That was a fantastic week of Wednesday rest for James Boyd. Hosses being physical, throwing <laughs> each other around, sneering, snorting, and growling at each other. Uh, Raquel is more powerful than Rhea. Rhea has been overpowering everyone everywhere she's been in NXT until she runs to someone that's, that's has that ability that she just cannot top. And ultimately, it's up to her to try to figure out how to get around someone at, and deal with someone being stronger and more powerful than her. And she uses her, her dexterity as a wrestler and more skill to eventually overcome her. Loved it. Great storytelling. Um, number eight. Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles on SmackDown early beginning of the year. It was the Intercontinental Title uh, Tournament Final. Um, this is the only main roster match that's going to be on my uh, card. I, I it was they were one of the first people to figure out how to uh, conquer the empty arena setting. They they just great wrestling is very similar to the previous matches from 2018 to 19, where one, one person works a body part. The other one has to figure out how to survive and ultimately how to survive normally is working on them getting a body part of their own to, to single and isolate. And then it comes to a battle of wills. Uh, AJ style just happened to win at the end. Um, so number seven for me, Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunn ladder match for War Games Advantage uh, in November of uh, 2000, or sorry, I think it's beginning of no, November, November um, incredible match Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunn if you want to look at it have pieced together uh, through sheer accident mostly um, an incredible resume and match in 2020 against each other, whether it was Broserweights versus Undisputed Area at Portland, whether it was this ladder match, whether it was, um, in your, I'm sorry, not in your house, but whether it was the War Games match, whether it was their match or number one contendership for the NXT title a couple weeks ago. They're just, they're just a match made in heaven. It goes together. They're grapplers. They're submission, uh, submission people. Uh, you throw in the, the, uh, the striking that O'Reilly does and is just, it's best at the Super Juniors level wrestling. It just is. Um, number number six for me would be Io Shirai versus Rhea Ripley. Um, they finally had the match. They finally had the match. They had been teasing it um, all throughout the year. They finally got to it. And when they had it, it was great. Um, Io, Io just outclassed her for the beginning of the match. Rhea mounts a, uh, mounts a run for herself. Ultimately, the t- it looks like the tide is turning until EO t- 
takes her outside, hits or out to the apron, hits a flip over sunset bomb onto the table from inside the ring, over the top rope, grabs her, throws her onto the onto the table. Um, Rhea beats the ten count. Eo uh, or she makes the ten count. Eo's immediately jumps to the uh, to the to the turnbuckle and drops her uh, with the moonsault for the win. Great match. Uh, number that'd be five. Number five for me. Broserweights versus Mandrews and uh, Morgan Webster from the uh, Dusty Cup uh, tournament. Just, just PWG indie wrestling <laughs> extravaganza. Just incredible spots, incredible time, incredible kickouts. This is one the one match I would say like. I will put up against some of the 2000, uh, some of the Young Buck stuff from AEW this year, and for, from out of AEW that I pick, I wouldn't dare pick anything else really. Well, maybe I pick the um, the Portland match for the for the title change with Bros Weights and Undisputed, but this this is it for tag wrestling for for something going against the Young Bucks catalog this year in 2020. Uh, number four for me, Tyler Bate versus Jordan Devlin from Blackpool Two, um, an incredible match. It, this is the epitome of a takeover match. Um, great crowd, of course, with, with, with the UK and, and Blackpool. Uh, you know, Bate had never won on a, on a UK takeover. Changed that one. He, he thought he had him with the, uh, with the Tyler driver. Definitely kicks out. He's, he, Bate just runs and sprints to the top turnbuckle. Hits his, uh, his, his corkscrew gets the win. Crowd goes wild. Eventually, we're going to have another uh, Walter match. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Um, number three for me, Keith Lee versus Dijak, the blow-off match in Portland. They Everything they've, they have displayed for us on NXT in 2019 came to the forefront, and they decided uh, to take it up a notch. Uh, Dijak d- dedicated the match to Kobe. He does... <laughs> Comes off the top turnbuckle, off the top rope, onto Keith Lee, who's sitting in a chair between the announce tables, and front flips onto him. Keith Lee catches this fucking guy. Unbelievable match. Just an incredible match. Um, that might be my most like. My rating is overrated compared to the general consensus. I gave that match five stars. This is like a four and a quarter star compared to match. I don't care. Y'all are all wrong. Kiss my ass. Um, <laughs> then um number two. Balor versus O'Reilly, uh, NXT title match, uh, TakeOver 31, love the match, it's the best of Super Junior's final, except it's in NXT, just, just, just great determination, one of the best sell jobs, uh, in the world this year, Kyle O'Reilly selling, um, his, his, basically a liver shot, just, just doubled over in pain like he's finna die, just incredible wrestling. Uh, number one for me, (sighs) Walter versus Dragunov NXT UK title match, just uh, just uh, a masterpiece of, of brutality and violence. Guys beat the piss out of each other. Uh, Dragunov just just working underneath, just 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 fighting, just desperate to try to overcome this dude. And much like these Walter matches in NXT takeovers, none doing. I'm gonna beat the piss out of you. I'm gonna make you look like your your best baby face you could possibly be, and I'm going to finish you. Incredible match. Yeah, so um, thank you for coming on with us. Uh, can you get your plugs in, please? Uh, no problem, and uh, thank you for having me on again. It's been a year. I think it's not fair. <laughs> How's it? It's, 
Only a year? I generally was like, wait, am I getting mixed up? Was this two years ago that I was on? I'm just getting confused. <laughs> like, no, it's only been a year. Like, wow. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, but yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter at the damn implicate. That's damn as in damn. Still not thought of a new way to say that. I didn't get any. Gir- I didn't get any kind of um, girth behind that. I felt so white going damn. <laughs> That's not right. No, there's some girth behind it. It's a big man. Damn. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, you can, follow, um, you can uh, also watch me on my uh, YouTube channel for wrestling. My YouTube channel. I do uh, reviews every single week for Raw and NXT on the Wrestling Headlines YouTube channel. I'll be covering both nights of Wrestle Kingdom as well. Uh, so uh, I'll be live as soon as the shows are finished. Because and I'll be joined by an American guy because he's mental. Uh, but yes, I'll be live as soon as the shows are finished for Wrestle Kingdom. I'll also be... Uh, I also write a columnist for Wrestling Headlines as well. So they're popping up as well. End of year awards. Uh, they're not... I don't think they're closed yet. I'm not sure. I'm recording the show next week, so they must close soon. <laughs> I'm not sure where. So you can go to the headlines to do your end of your awards thing. Uh, I'm assuming your awards are, are your awards closed or open? They're still open. They're still open. open. Yeah, they'll be open mm. probably until we do the award show, probably like the mi- middle or late January, maybe maybe early uh, February. Yeah. I voted. Go vote. <laughs> Go vote the one yeah. radio awards. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, have I gotten, have I forgot any, I've probably forgotten something. Yeah, I've not plugged in ages. <laughs> it's been two weeks. <laughs> I've forgotten how to do it. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, that's everything. Yeah. Follow me. Oh, Twitch. There we go. I knew it was bloody something. Yes, I've been streaming on Twitch nice. at the implications with a second S, uh, along with, uh, the guy from the wrestling shorts YouTube channel. Uh, I've been streaming with him, so I'm often on his channel or my channel to do stuff as well. Uh, my plan is when I come back to be streaming some Yakuza Like a Dragon, because I flipping love that series, <laughs> and I got the new game for Christmas, so I'll be uh, playing uh, playing that when I come back. Um, yeah, and uh, suck it, I like to play it in Japanese, get used to it. <laughs> it's like... Uh, <laughs> like I asked, so, when you uh, got to the... read a road sign or something. <laughs> well, I um, I asked someone on to because uh, we were talking about how different places have adapted to the pandemic, and they asked one of the normal American guys that I have on to help me review uh, New Japan uh, if he wants to join me for one of the post shows. I think it might be Jingu, and uh, it was just like, oh, I don't like watching New Japan uh, where it's not with the English commentary. I'm just like, that's so weird to me. <laughs> to like, yeah, that is how that 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 be how you watch it. That's really strange. Anyway, before I lead us down a tangent hole, I'll stop. <laughs> That's all my shit blowed. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, yeah, so thank you again, Imp, and we will be moving on to AEW. And we're back, and we have brought in the big guns for AEW. With us, we have the Doc, Chad Matthews. What's going on, Chad? Not much, gentlemen. I was uh, excited to get the last minute tap about this. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I had uh, I had um, mentioned to Rich that we should get you on for this uh, for this occasion, and I guess like I just forgot to ask you, and then it's like, well, are either we're going to do this or we're not? And it's like, well, shit, Chad's probably way too busy to be doing this. He's busy than the president. Then luckily. <laughs> We found an opening, so we're making it. So we're making it work. So, um, no, I appreciate it. I'm, that's, I'm excited. Yeah. So, I guess I guess we have to start pretty much anywhere with any discussion. Um, we have to talk about this. 
how do you, how well do you, or how bad do you think, um, AEW adapted to the conditions, um, given to us from the pandemic? I think they adapted as well as anybody in the business. I thought that their use of the, the plants around the ring was just perfect the way they, I mean, basically, if, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I feel like you basically, showed everybody the template for how to do it you know aiming the ca- the hard camera at the stage instead of the crowd having plants around the ring to give spear they've got the cool open air stadium well i guess it's not completely open air but they've got the 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 amphitheater for them to use to, that just looks great think that from the standpoint of an aesthetic dynamic they did a wonderful job showed everybody else how to do it and then the the booking just continued to be the most part. I mean, it had its hits or misses like anybody would, but I think by and large they maintained interest and enthusiasm throughout the pandemic era to date and really think about crowds anymore, and that's in large part because of what AEW did. Rich? Yeah. um, AEW lost a lot this year, and while it was still great, I think, you know, just incredibly booked. Like I'm trying not to think about all the things we lost, like blood and guts, like them going over to London to start like expanding internationally, which was on deck. That was going to be fighter fest. And it, it, you see someone like Hangman page kind of get his legs cut off as the crowd was, you know, really with him at a certain point, Mox's entire title reign, uh, doomed to no fans. However, um, if, I feel like, if we're talking about adjusting on the fly, this is like, this is what they do. Like the first show, the promotions history, they had to adjust on the fly uh, when Pat wasn't able to make it in. Um, this the second pay per view they ever had, they had to be adjusted on the fly when John Moxley couldn't wrestle Kenny Omega, and all they've done, is, like Chris Jericho lose the title, like, and they they turn that into like a bunch of social media traffic for themselves. All these people do is adapt. So while the pandemic weakened and made me, you know, think about all the things they lost, the stuff that we got in this place was still pretty fucking awesome. Like just from top to bottom. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think you guys are underselling this. I I watched a shit ton of stardom this year. I watched a shit ton of uh, New Japan this year. I watched a shit ton of NXT and I watched a good amount or a decent amount of main roster television. This promotion handled and adjusted to COVID better than any of them. All everybody I just mentioned, they did better than all of them. Um, with the with you know the the heel and uh, baby face size for the um, uh, for the crowd uh, miking or whatever else. Um, the idea to put the camera facing uh, the ramp. To forget those empty seats, you don't even see those empty seats. Um, almost ninety percent of the show, or ninety-five percent of the show, um, that in itself worked out so much better than coming into a cold um, for the project together thing when they came back for the restart for for New Japan Pro Wrestling coming to it just a cold, empty, uh, small building. Um, it did better than Stardom restarting uh, for Stardom is again with. Uh, them in front of um, a few people, 
a few people here and there, and it's a clap crowd, and you know they're killing each other, but that's but you know it's still a clap crowd. It's better than you know <laughs> WWE for months just going out there having seats in, in a and a you know the ramp and a barricade around and everything and just doing that. It just it just it's just so much better. Um, I feel like they were the best booked coming out of the pandemic, which is saying something considering you know how highly I think of stardom. Um, and you know, I think I th- I feel like they got into a groove and they had to make adjustments whether it was going to um you know Georgia whether it was moving finally to Jacksonville and you know there it's become a, the uh the permanent spot ever since then. But like I I felt like. Um, the changes they made over time, like their ma- I didn't feel like their matches suffered from the stuff that we talk about when we talk about a uh, Stardom or New Japan or WWE. I just, I overwhelmingly like, or not overwhelmingly, but like, um, overall, I feel like their matches think, mostly felt like their matches for the most part compared to, especially compared to everybody else. I think it's pretty telling that you take away the hottest crowd in the business and like. There's almost like negligible drop off. Yeah, and they also did it without like trying to murder each other by killing each other with physical matches, super physical matches. Like, granted, Kenny Omega is going to try to kill himself every other match, but you know, we still relatively, you know, the Young Bucks wrestle pretty damn safe. Yeah, it really man. speaks to how long it's been since the pandemic started. Now, ten months almost since. Crowd and it almost just feels normal. AEW helped normalize not having crowds for wrestling shows, and to the point where, you know, obviously there's a contrast when you go back and rewatch something from February versus rewatching something from just a few months later. Yeah. But the fact that we're actually able to have engaging conversation about wrestling and not be talking about that which it has lacked. I think is uh, is in large part due to AEW setting the tone. So it's you're right. You're, you're, I mean, they really they knocked it out of the park. They had a great year um, um, against all odds. Okay, so I mean, now that we we we've gotten the the big gigantic elephant out in front street and have you know to handle that because that's the most important thing. Um, from a creative uh, standpoint. Obviously, we all we were all in agreement that this was this year was a great year for a, for AEW um, creatively. Um, compared to its initial run out the box, let's say you know from you know October to um, the end of 2019, do you feel like it's on par, better, or slightly worse? How how would you feel about it? I think it's slightly worse. I think mm. concentrating on the positives like we just did, there are some negatives that come with it, which is if you don't have, have that all, engage it. We had a sample size during the first few months of the year leading up to Revolution, mm-hmm. and that was about as good an eight-week run of television as you see in, in this era. And to not have the to, – to not give them the opportunity because of the pandemic to – to build on that, to see if they can take it to the next level or to sustain it, it, it's too bad. I mean, I mean that that part is just kind of inextricably linked with the nature of the pandemic era in wrestling. Is that right before it 
we've had unbelievable run up to a really tremendous pay-per-view. So booking-wise, overall, I think they've done quite well. But the the standard that was particularly not so much 2019, but 2019 leading into the pre-pandemic part of 2020, uh, it's tough to compare them because that era was just so good. And the, the crowd dynamic feeding that energy every week was it's just tough to replicate that without audience yeah january through uh kansas city like so that would be uh the night they did the elite versus Pac and the loser brothers and then they got that television contract which essentially uh extension after that show essentially saved the company i don't know if we're sitting here talking about aw if that like they don't do that great number that day and uh, get everything renewed, you know, and extended Kevin Durant money, as we said. Um, <laughs> and I don't think we have, you know, an AW. And then those those eight weeks following that, I felt like I was watching all time wrestling television, uh, individual episodes that, that stand out for me. The Atlanta episode, uh, Kansas City, those two. You don't see many promotions reach that with like their pay per views, like so. Um, slightly, you know, there there's been an adjustment, and I felt like since the pandemic, they're still the leader, like as far as like laying stuff out, booking and execution and everything like that. But it's it's hard to um, compare that to that eight week, ten week period because, like, that's the peak of pro wrestling for me. Um, I quite frankly don't think that anything they did this year, unless I'm forgetting something, made me as, uh, and felt like as much of a gut punch on a weekly or bi-weekly basis as, like, the Nightmare Collective stuff. So, um, you know... We, we talk about, like, the Cody and Jericho feud, but, like, I like the Jericho and Cody feud. Um, I'm sorry, I, li- I like the, the Inner Circles versus Moxley feud as much as that. Uh, maybe more. Um, you know, like, the the beginning of the first two months of the year do count as being in, du- in 2024 uh, AW. So, for me... Um, with you know the whooping the MJF stuff, the the bubbling in in um in in you know passive aggressiveness of <laughs> Hangman and, and Omega versus the Young Bucks, like all that stuff still counts for for uh I, I know it feels like it was many 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 um years ago, but like that actually was this year. So for me, like I, you know, I think the best the very best of it um matches what we got in the first those first you know three months of um of dynamite for me but i just wondering where uh, mm-hmm. y'all all stood on it so um i guess from there we can talk about some um some of the some of our you know top moments uh from this particular year like i you know I, i'm sorry I'm, I'm i'm steering the car we're gonna have to talk about um inner circle versus versus uh moxley because I, I i i just adore that that whole run of television i, I just did like um chad what, what, what are your takeaways looking back on it now inner circle versus moxley was probably the most 
kind of building on Rich's point about all-time great television. I mean, I felt yeah. like that was the best championship feud that we'd seen in North America in, in a really long time. And, and I'm going to say even beyond North America because the reality is, is that I don't watch any of the promo stuff or any of the story stuff from New Japan. So when I go, go into it, it's watching a football game on a Saturday without having listened to anybody talk about it ahead of time. It's just naturally taking these two guys like oh that's really interesting i'm gonna watch that like sport but when you add back in the entertainment dynamic the way they weaved that story across those eight nine weeks leading up to revolution uh, i mean the inner circle versus versatility feud was which just about picture perfect and i think the funny thing is is that i i could say the exact same thing about mjf versus cody um, yeah and and those two things running concurrently was pretty magnificent. Yeah, man. Those um two fuse like MJF and Cody with the whipping segment was one of the most gripping segments I've ever watched. I showed that to um Catherine and it was just like rewatching it. It's just like I knew everything that was happening and coming and it was just like what the hell? Why are these why is this man putting himself through this like and it was just like I felt like a real moment where you know, um, AW had the honeymoon period that was going on, um, you know, in 2019 and even in the parts of 2020, it was like a departure from that. It was like, oh, we're doing like real deal heavy angles now that have like weight underneath of it. So and and also um, with the Mox and um, Inner Circle thing, that was like every great kung fu movie we've ever seen like <laughs> fighting through the minions to get to the master like in uh you you throw in the, the stealing the car stuff you throw in santana doing the interview with jim ross like uh showing that he has something to offer uh and and at the end like it's probably the i don't want to say the end but it's like jericho's final like uh, like I would say, like big run as like a top star, like top top guy, is this this great programming authored? Yeah, I, I think the thing for me was just how well it all tied together, and also just like Moxley, his whole run of television all year in two thousand nine, uh, two thousand twenty is just was fantastic. But this this was the starting point. Um you know, they tease. I think. I think before they got out of 2019, they teased that like you know they're gonna they're gonna have some type of you know conversation where Jericho doesn't want wants him to join in or wants his answer for whether or not he wants to join Inner Circle. And then they they tease it from beginning of the year. They meet up together. They they do the they shoot the shit thing about how much you know mentor and you know uh, mentoring Jericho did for his career to get him to AEW. And then he says, you know, I'll I'll hear him out. And then they they do you know and a almost like a, a it was reminiscent of the the thumbs up thumbs down Batista Triple H thing which is funny because we're probably gonna bring that up again mm-hmm. later in the show but like he's like yeah I'll join Inner Circle absolutely and then like Guevara and all the other idiots like they run out the ring to celebrate and then he's like yeah I was just joking I don't want any, I don't want anything you have to give me even your money like except for that. He points at the bell on his shoulder and then he bashes that bottle of champagne over this man's head. <laughs> and they were all from there. Like, you know, you stole my car. 
I got something for you. I will blind you. You do not get to steal a quarter million dollar car from me and just get to, you know, drive off with it. We will hurt you. We, look, his nickname is Goon, is Goon, and the other one is Rome. Ruffian and Thug is their, is their nicknames. You don't get to steal from Ruffian and Thug. You will feel this. They blind him in one eye. Uh, you know, then you end up getting, uh, Moxie gets his come up is against Santana. Santana cause an incredible promo about his, about his stepfather and blindness and how that tied into the, like, where they are, the eye for an eye match, official or unofficial, whatever it was called. That was a fun, that was great television. Uh, the Santana match, great television. Um, he even gave Guevara some and then ultimately we get to revolution and like all of that, all of those storyline beats tying to place where he has to patch over his eye rusting that whole entire time. And then at the end it's like, his eyes been healed. He's been he's been like playing possum with y'all the whole time. He ends up hitting him with uh you know, when once you think I got no eyes, I actually have one. Gotcha. Uh I almost called it dirty deeds, but uh the paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. Yeah. Just uh it was just it was so good. Just so good. And it was like it felt so rewarding and satisfying to watch it come out of Moxley because we was like we talked about this on the um the preview show for our awards, like we all knew about, we all knew what was in, within him since 2014, 15, 16, at the latest. Like, we weren't crazy, we were gaslit. And to see that unfold is like, thank you. We're not crazy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and we, we talk about Cody and MJF. Just, um, cr- I'm not as crazy about the, the whooping as y'all are. But what I will give props to is the level of commitment to the story in the cage match. The cage match is what I will praise. Um, yes, like at the at the highest. Cody in there with this green dude, and they just make it work out. It, it was just great television and great. You know, I believe that we talked about this. If Cody's beginning of 2020 is towards the end i think we look back on it um in a higher regard it's just you know the beginning of of this year was five years ago yeah yeah and then like um and in that same time frame like you get uh the aw tag team titles change they go from scu to Heyman and kenny from you know start of the year they're like just on a streak, just great matches every week, running through private party, Lucha Bros, uh, PMP, SCU, uh, the, cleaning out the whole division essentially. And then it, that leads into, you know, uh, probably my match of the year, the, the tag match with, uh, against the Bucks. And there are special matches and that's one of them. Uh, the other day, like I sent the, um, Omega kickout spot with the, uh, kicking out of the the uh, golden, golden trigger, trigger at one, and it, kicking out at one, and then like thinking about how that made me feel in the moment. I may be jumping ahead here, but um, the young bucks got me to be like, "Oh fuck y'all!" Like, and that like would never happen, and unless it was like some earned shit. Like, I felt like they they violated. So and. It was like one of the best moments of the year, and then one of the best matches you'll ever see in your life. Like, th- yeah, it, yeah, I, I might be jumping ahead, but all that is in that same uh, era. Yeah, um, I want to, I want to go back a bit and talk about the actual build up to that feud. Um, 
Chad, what were your thoughts on the the build up to um, Hangman and Kenny versus uh, the Young Bucks? As far as like their characters, their their positions, and the dynamics between um, Kit, the Young Bucks between Hangman and Kenny. Oh man, it, isn't it fascinating to go and, and think about that that nine ten week stretch at the beginning of the year when yeah. AEW was just firing on all cylinders. I mean, you got talking about the classic sports entertainment pro wrestling segments that we're seeing from Moxley and the in the inner circle, and then MJF versus Cody, and then you have by contrast equally as brilliant subtle storytelling going on with Omega and Page and the Young Bucks. Quietly, the whole time, you know where we're going. It's not not the same type of dynamic when you've got a title match announced seven, eight weeks in advance to a pay-per-view. But to know, with every little small storytelling detail, that we were inching closer to Bucks challenging Omega and Page for the tag titles on that same night at at Revolution, it was just, it gave this kind of extraordinary balance to eight, EW's product and is partly why that stretch is going to get remembered as the elite all-time caliber of television that Rich was referencing. I I thought going along with that, I thought that the the Young Bucks, Omega and Page came together for that match was was perfectly done. I mean, being the elite was an important part of that, I will admit. That was when I was engaged week to week with being the elite for the first time. So to see the, the things they would do on being the elite every week to build, build up to was partly what was making me watch it. I wanted to see that extra little storytelling layer that they may add in on BTE. So the whole dynamic with Omega and Paisley, it hit its peak when it needed to late in the year. But early on, leading up to that match with the Young Bucks, partly what makes that match so special, six-star, seven-star, what call it, all-time great, top 10 all-time caliber match, in my opinion. Um, what made it so great was the subtleties of the storytelling leading up to it. That's what extra dynamic that would make you care so much when you had some of those, like, to me, the guy who emotionally hooked me in that match was Paige. Certainly, some of the stuff that the Bucks did, that Omega did, one subtle moment, I'll say, in that match that Omega did that made me appreciate him that much more was early on Paige's starting to get over-aggressive, wanting to take it to a level that Omega is just not comfortable with. And he pulls him back. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. You know, we're not going to go down that road. We're not um, take the anger part of it to that level. We're going we're gonna to keep it at a certain level right now. We're not going there yet. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about in that match yeah. with Omega? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kenny yeah. Omega stopped Kenny, or Adam Pulling Page from kicking too much ass in an ass-kicking match. Yeah. So, I mean, just all the way around, the subtleties in the storytelling were what made that match to me that much better and delivered payoffs emotionally by the time we got to the climax of it when you know you just don't know what's going to happen with Adam Page. Is he going to take that next step? Is he going to fall short? Uh, just a brilliant presentation all around that I'd like to talk more about later on as we get into the podcast. Yeah, man, it, it was almost like Kenny was on that Bruno San Martino, like, I'll wrestle you, but I'll only wrestle defensively, you know? Like, <laughs> Larry's a disco. 
yeah, for for me the the dynamic was just um keep on I didn't watch any of the uh uh BTE stuff. I was only watching the television. And from watching television, um the sense that I got out of Hangman was um I don't want to be here. It's not really quite explained well or understood why. I just don't want to be here, but I have some but I, the reason why I have to stay around here is because of Omega. I have a friendship with Omega. I was, you know, down in the dumps, and he stuck a hand out to me, and we made this tag team thing work. And so I'm really appreciative of of our friendship. And for some reason, the young he doesn't want to be with the elite, and that's mostly because of the young bucks breathing air. <laughs> Um, whatever, but like he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to suffer whatever he feels like he's suffering by being around in those two, uh, the Jackson's presence. And he really took it as personal slights when, you know, their friend or, you know, Kenny was still just, you know, put them over the moon as far as like, they're a great team. And he's like, no, we're a great team. Fuck those guys. And and that was always bubbling (laughs) under the surface. And, um, and that was always bubbling under service until they finally had to sit down where Matt was like, I've had enough of you being this passive aggressive bitch to us. What is wrong with you? Like, we, you know, we, we did, we've done all this stuff to help you and you, and you're giving up and you're like treating us as if we're like torturing you. What the hell is your problem? And, you know, it, it was, and, and, and why this all happening is like, that builds on all this tension we see as potential, you know, as just watchers of wrestling as like a tag team of two individuals come together. Eventually, they're gonna we figure they're gonna split together. So like, hang or you know, with the with the interaction between Matt and Nick Jackson and um, Hangman and Kenny kind of be trying to be Switzerland, just trying to like, look, man, I'm friends with all y'all. I ain't got you, y'all beef is y'all beef. Like my dynamic with each of y'all is like different is 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 its own and it's not gonna affect any of it. So, like, you see that, like, that can, you see that, like, that can potentially draw, um, not potentially, like, it, at times is drawing Hangman to, like, is, is he gonna turn on, on Kenny? And, you know, you got the after the match with the, with the, you know, tease of the buckshot lariat, um, was just like, because you don't want to pick a side, like, I don't want, I don't, I don't really want to, you know, I potentially, not, I maybe not want to, you know, do anything with you either. Like, I might just want to, like, lay you out and just move on. Um, and, like, I, I thought, I thought that all worked very well. Um, it, it left me questions of, I understood everybody's direction. I just didn't understand the motive, uh, the motivation or, or the, the motivation for why he doesn't fuck with the Young Bucks. And that wasn't really explained well on television, but, like, I get the dynamic. The dynamic made all the sense in the world, but I just didn't understand that reason for like why. What did he do? What did they do to them? And I think um, I think Sam mentioned it um, when he was on the show with us later yeah. or, or later on. It was like, yeah, like they were doing like the young bucks were like treating him like a young boy. And he's like, I'm not no fucking young boy. And it's like, okay, like if that was just put in place on television, it, it would have worked so. It would have helped me at the time. And like, there's still also parts- there, there's only. There's only there's only one wrestler that the Young Bucks second, and it's not Heyman Page. That's a part of it too. And what happened? That's part of it too. And like like they didn't second him against Chris Jericho, and then as long as you know he was in the elite, he felt like he would never be able to break out because he'd always be under the Bucks' thumb. So, yeah. like I get it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I I got it from the part of this the you know I don't mess with these dudes and my tag team partner is like still buddy buddy with them so it's like are you like I want you to choose I'm not gonna tell you to choose but I want you to choose I want you to choose me and if you and if, and if and I think you and I think you weren't gonna choose me I probably would have clotheslined your ass you know out of your boots by now but I just have it um, so like for me like I, I loved it um, and then we got the match and the match was incredible uh, one of the best matches I've ever seen. And you know, and we, and this whole thing was about like you look at through that whole one. It was about getting Hangman after losing the the match to Jericho to like he's winning these matches, he's winning the titles, he's putting he's putting people away with with the yump with the buckshot Larry over and over and over. And then at the end of this match, like he goes out of his mind and blacks out and and, win, and just basically goes on a hot tag and wins a damn match by himself. It shows like I am better than both of y'all. Kiss my ass, Nick and Matt. And, and you know, and then like he's like you know, and he got to the point where he's like he's he's feeling so so much. He's like maybe I should take go out out here and take out Kenny. Nah, never mind. Maybe later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want them problems. <laughs> yeah, he'll 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 bring in Callus. So uh, I guess we go from <laughs> now we're now that we're caught up the revolution. Now that's pretty much takes us to, um, I guess more or less the introduction of uh, FTR into. Or, or, or is there something before that you want to mention? Double or nothing. Um, Brody Lee and Brody Lee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so so yeah. So then we basically talking about like going to Georgia, going to uh, Jacksonville, or the pandemic, and, and some of the stuff. Tournament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, Rich, you'll you'll overview that one because I'm I'm blanking. Like this is like the time of the year where it's like. I just for, forgot to rate stuff, and so I don't remember it that well. So you, you have to jog my memory imagine. on some of this stuff. So, so we we were set. I can't imagine God. why. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we we were set for blood and guts after Revolution. They had started building up Inner Circle and the Elite um, to go back at it, but world shuts down. So we're in Norcross, Georgia. All of a sudden, there's an introduction of the uh, TNT Championship. Um, and we get like the TNT title tournament, uh, first round matchups, I believe where, uh, like it basically came down, you know, to Cody and Lance Archer. Um, uh, was it four person, was it eight person tournament or four person tournament? Eight person tournament. Um, yeah. it was Dustin eight. and, and kill or eight. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Dustin was in it. Uh, Sammy and Darby, yep. Cody and Spears, yep. uh, Kip and Dustin and, who did, uh, who that kind of like murder? was the backbone of those those tapings. Um, he fought Colt Cabana. Okay. Colt Cabana. Yeah, and um, Chad, like, what were your impressions of like the the Georgia uh, era? I would say <laughs> uh, of AEW and the the massive kind of the the ripping of that uh, blood and guts away from us, along with like the the debut of Brody Lee. Well, I mean, at that point, I feel like we're all trying to survive. And everything we're in Dynamite every week is the example of them trying to survive. So there's a bit of a resonance with what they're trying to pull off uh, in what looked like. I'm not even sure where they were, but it looked like some sort of football practice facility. Uh, so, you know, there were a couple of matches that stood out from that time that I really enjoyed. There were... Um, a lot of nights, a lot of Wednesday nights when I was banking on dynamite to pull me up by the bootstraps and keep me focused on something beside COVID-19. So, uh, I remember it fondly. I remember one particular match from that time being 
uh, Kenny Omega against Trent Beretta. Was it Kazarian or was it Trent Beretta? Yeah, it was Trent. Trent. Yeah, Trent Trent. and Kenny Omega just tore it up. Had one of those really physical matches that you were talking about earlier, James, that, you know, really didn't have any reason to be. It was just like they went out and had a super physical match like you'd see in New Japan. And I remember that night thinking back on it, like, I'm going to remember that match. I would have remembered that if there were 10,000 people in the crowd just because of it just somewhat feeling routine at that point for great matches to happen in AEW. But for their match at that time, uh, much like Double or Nothing would be a couple of weeks after that or months or whatever it was after that, it was just um, rather unexpectedly cathartic. Yeah. Um, James? Oh, um, yeah. The the I remember the Trent in Omega match. I, I thought that was like the first good Georgia match that that happened, or or anyway. But yeah, so one thing I remember about that match was like Kenny takes his bump off the top turnbuckle and he lands like right on one of his shoulders. And I was like, "You idiot!" Like and, he, and it wasn't like some uncontrollable thing. Like he did it on purpose. And I was like, "You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pop your shoulder and separate your shoulder." I, and like I, you know, and I was just thinking like, why are you going so hard for a TV match in in front of nobody or whatever else? I'm like, this dude's a psychopath. He just <laughs> just a different mentality than. <laughs> they wired different. Like, yeah, they just just wired different. Totally. <laughs> Every match is where I peak. All right, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No days um, off. Yeah. Uh, it's like Alan match. Iverson. Yeah. Another yeah. match I want to. Uh, uh, Mentioned that wasn't the tournament. It wasn't that um, Omega in trip match was uh, Britt Baker versus Karoshita. Just, oh, just, yeah. uh, just a, <laughs> a a hell of a of a match. I was totally unexpected. That you thought you were going to get a, a a good match, and then it turned out to be way more physical. Um, and you know, and I, I felt like that also. You know, a per, for a person that got hurt by no crowds. Britt Baker getting her nose busted in that match with the fortuitous juice like that that helped carry her carry her a, a, a little bit further too. Yeah, she was um like she's been one of my favorites uh throughout the whole year. Uh but with the pandemic uh or excuse me before the pandemic she was just owning crowds left and right and then that was the match where I remember uh, we had Tanya on with us that week. Yeah. And I was and I made it a point to say no, we have to talk about Britt Baker <laughs> like because <laughs> we weren't doing like full like show reviews or anything at that time. And uh, I was like no, we have to talk about her breaking out. I think this is a star making uh you know performance and it was. Yeah. Um I mean, we can get through the tournament like they do Dustin or, you know, uh, Kenny, not Kenny, I'm sorry, I'm losing my mind. Uh, Darby and Guevara, they, they have their second match and, um, Darby beats him again. Another great match. Um, you get, uh, in the semifinal, you ended up, uh, getting, uh, <laughs> you end up getting, uh, the, you know, the, the, the Cody emotional, uh, character stuff with his family, uh, getting left in a bloody heap when he beats the shit out of, uh, Dustin, um, uh, Archer beats the shit out of Dustin. Yeah. Um, was there, was there a, th- uh, there was a throw in the towel tease, wasn't there? Yes. Yeah. Um, I believe that Cody's going to throw in the towel. He, uh, who takes the towel out of his hand? Was it Archer or was it Dustin? I can't remember. 
I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, Tal gets taken out of Cody's hand and thrown back or, or thrown into the middle of the ring, uh, not by him, and then he just li- lives in a bloody hole and finishes him. Um, then we get a, uh, and then you know, on the other end you have the the second. I believe that's the second Darby in um in Cody match. Third. That's the third one. Okay. Third. Yeah. Okay. First yeah. one was second was on New Year. That's right. That's right. This is the and the third one is the one with in the one in Georgia's one with the tilt. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a very good match as well. Uh, and then you end up getting uh the was there a match on pay per view or my or TV? I can't even remember. Archer and Cody for the Cody TV and Lance show. Archer. Yeah, that was on Double or Nothing. It was right. that, it was that Double or Nothing. All right, so I guess it's not. Getting, is there anything else we need to talk about TV? Or do we get Double or Nothing? Brody Lee debuts. Double or Nothing's ah, a definite right. good spot to go. Yeah, yeah. Brody Lee. Yeah, he but debuts. really, I mean, Brody Lee leading into Double or Nothing. You know, yeah. Um, we think it's going to be a showcase hard. of okay, this guy more in the tank than WWE ever ever gave him the opportunity to showcase. You know, comes in, turns around the Dark Order to that much greater an extent, makes the Dark Order something that worth paying attention to. Just those those vignettes where he's acting supposedly like Vince McMahon was just fantastic and <laughs> not, not not wanting anybody to, to, to make noise or or to uh, what is it what's that Vince McMahon before uh, him. pet peeve that, no no one eats before yeah, no him one can eat before. don't yeah. sneeze no one um, yes yeah, this is a sign of, of weakness um, dress it, you have you have to dress like a star or look like a star, otherwise you're, you you should die. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a bunch of Vince Vince isms. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he he was great with it and came in like I mean I can't remember. At one point it was almost like a like in in a particular month it was like a battle for me it was like because this was Georgia when this all happened like who is going to have the better match the better squash match between uh with uh, <laughs> with Marco Stump between Brody Lee and Lance Archer, and look, I, I, I think Lance Archer had the better squash match, but they were both incredible. They they both beat the piss out of that dude. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. Um, so I, uh, from there, that was getting uh, that was preparing um, for Double or Nothing. Um, so that gets us to wait a second. Did we skip over? Uh, we kind of skipped over MJF and Cody. The match at Revolution. Uh, well, we didn't talk about Revolution much, but I Revolution one of the most the special shows there is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't like the match, um, <laughs> but like, and, and I, apparently the tattoo on Cody's neck distracted a lot of people. It didn't distract me because I don't really know anything about tattoos or anything. I'm just like, oh, whatever. It's a tattoo. People have tattoos, but. Um, incredible show. Yeah, like I, looking at the One Nation Radio Award voting. Yeah, the people love this show. Yeah, I um, we I mean we talked about Revolution with the programs that build towards um the three big shows, but we forgot about like you know the the three big matches that we forgot about what was the fourth big match. It just didn't work out to it didn't come out in execution out the wash as 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 shiny as um the other three. Yeah, um, just didn't work out. It's just you know he, he blazes off again. It's divisive. It, it was not. I mean, it's yeah. it was overbooked. Yeah, like you know? the, and then there is 
sometimes where that works out really well, and I thought it worked out really well in that match. Like, I remember listening to the One Nation review of Revolution and just, uh, and thinking, nope, don't agree with these guys on this one. Like, I really enjoyed that match. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't a match of the year camp. I don't think it ever needed to be. I think it was, uh, it was a vehicle that basically laid out pretty clearly Cody is the the better man, but MJF is opportunistic, yeah. a top caliber wrestler, as you're going to see on this roster, and he's going to be a bad guy, and you better get used to it because he's going to go do bad guy things. And, you know, the, the way it – I mean, it was it, – because the story was so strong going into it, I thought right. that carried uh, – I thought it carried it from bell to bell. So, I mean, I don't think it was awesome – but I thought it was uh, at the, on the lower level of what it needed to be. So, uh, yeah. but not not to the point where it took away. Nothing could take away from Revolution show like that complete pot product. You know, you can you can question some things about it. It's not perfect. No wrestling show really is. But top to bottom, the emotional peaks and valleys on that night with all of the momentum of those television shows behind it. Revolution, if it, it wins your pay-per-view of the year award, and I voted for it, uh, I mean, to me, it's one of the stronger pay-per-views of the last years. So, awesome. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I I I, I can't get double or nothing was awesome too though. Yes, yes it was. Yes, it on was. the we'll, we'll get to it, but like yeah. I didn't expect double or nothing. Like, but I, I want to cut you off. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I just can't get over the blading off of a, off of a, a socked foot. It's like, what are you doing? I said, what are y'all doing? So, like, I, I do appreciate the story of Cody like being the piss out of MJF, and it proves it. Like, even though he is. Uh, you know, some whatever version of evil you want to call him, he is tough enough to withstand that kind of thing and still, you know, w- win this a-, a blood feud or whatever else. Uh, yeah. Um, when MJF showed up looking looking like the Miz, like that man had that overtan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we 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 um fast forward and get back to where we were in place to get to double or nothing. Um, we had the we had the TNT title match. We had. Um, Hangman and Kenny versus I can't remember. Nope, Stadium Stampede. Oh, that's right, that Stadium, Stadium Stampede. Stampede. Stadium Stampede. We end up getting um the push for um the AEW title between um Moxley and uh, Brody Lee. We get Sheeta versus Nyla Rose. Um, yep. la- was that last man center? No DQ. What was the rule for that match? No, it was no DQ. No DQ. No DQ. Um, Jungle Boy versus MJF. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. What did Jericho do? Oh, he's in the same match. Who had a ladder match? Debuted. Brian Cage debuted. Yes. Was that it was the... a casino ladder match. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, and that's Top also... to bottom, a fantastic show. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I remember yeah. going into it and like not being uh not not being thrilled with the build. Quite frankly, having to uh, that's. Strictly, I looking about it back at it now. It's like the adjustment to the COVID world. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, going into it, I thought we were going to get the dud pay per view. Um, I thought that actually ended up being all out instead. But it was like the builds were in reverse because like the builds all out was great, and then or it was it was good, but double or nothing on that night. It was like wow, this is like just as almost as good as Revolution. 
Yeah, and and that definitely in some ways it was better. And that's definitely because of the stadium stampede match. Um, like you know, start there. Yeah, yeah, it, it pretty much. <laughs> um, you have all these weird. Dyna- you still have all the same dynamics from the in the, in the um backlash of the uh, AEW tag title match from Revolution, um, and how they're going to handle that. And obviously, this is clearly blood and guts, but poured it into a cinematic match in the stadium. Um, you had the Matt Hardy and Kenny Omega match versus Jericho in, was that Guevara? Yeah, yeah. And Guevara match that also Crazy helped set this up. You, you know, you, we hadn't seen, um, you know, a lot of the inner circle around like Santana Ortiz for forever. Um, at the end of that match, um, they show up, they have the, you know, the great shot of them with the, um, the Jaguars jumbotron in the background, say inner circle as they close that show. um, you know, Jericho may not have the title, but because they, you know, because of the Moxley feud, like they got, they still have a lot of momentum and, and oomph to them. So they then take on the baby faces. The baby faces rightfully beat the shit out of them. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a fun ass, uh, I don't know, half hour, 25 minute watch, uh, Stadium Stampede. Absolutely was. Whether or not there were a hangman on the team, which we all knew he was going to show up, but it was like the tease of whether or not he was going to do it was also, also important. Chad, what did you think about uh, the stadium stampede? I thought the stadium stampede match was uh, probably the best cinematic pro wrestling experience to date. It was a total blast. I think I think back on that that show as a whole, stadium stampede being its peak, as exactly what I need moment to snap out of the funk I'd fallen slowly into over the previous 10 weeks. It was that kind of great to me as a show. And, you know, I mean, Stadium Stampede was just a blast. I mean, it was just, it was just fun. It was everything that we needed it to be. I remember watching it on replay about 10 days later with a friend of mine who uh, rarely watches the pay-per-views, but is an avid week-to-week viewer of Dynamite. Mm-hmm. And and that was the, the impression we came out of it with was, man, that was a blast. And as was the whole show, top to bottom, you look for there's there's a couple of matches on there that are thrown there in the middle to give everybody a breather. But in terms of consistency across the entire show, quality wise, that's as good a show as you'll see. Yeah, it had all the comedy, it had all the well thought out spots, the insane finish, um, just the feeling of like, wow, this is taking us out of this this reality that we're in right now. And just, just incredible storytelling, like with them at the bar and, um, it, you know, the presentation. I'm big on that. I, I, in the WWE portion, I talked about the presentation with the, uh, the Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso match at Clash of the Champions where they brought out Alpha and Sika and everything like that. Well, in this wacky world of the stadium stampede, they're in a stadium, the Jag Stadium, the inner circle shows up dressed as football players. Hey, man's riding a fucking horse, like, Bro, it's it's just nuts, like all all up and down. And then that that fucking lunatic, uh, Sammy Guevara, signs up to take the the one winged angel <laughs> as a twenty foot drop. Like you got Matt Hardy doing all the uh the Laker reincarnation stuff with the Jaguars pool there. Um, it don't get much better. That was hilarious. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, 
MJF and Jungle Boy were, were awesome on this. Uh, I, I always try to remember that match because I feel like it could get lost. And this really showed MJF could work, work. And a lot of people didn't know that, I think. And this one was like, you know, put those rumors to bed that, you know, and, and if you don't get it, with I didn't MJF, know that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, this guy can work, work. Um, <laughs> and then Jungle Boy, like, that's a generational rivalry. Jungle Boy and MJF, look forward to seeing those guys run it for years and years and years. They're both, like, 25 years old. So, um, Jungle Boy maybe even younger. I think a lot of the MJF does not work things because he screwed up the crossroads once or twice. I think that's really all it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Chaz guy Brian Cage coming in and then that being the centerpiece of uh, – one of the one of the quiet best factions of the year, Team Taz. Yeah, an, another one for uh, an, another great, great addition of um, of uh, Brian Cage and, and Taz. It's like you get that match where he comes in, wins, screws over Darby, which we still haven't even gotten that match yet, which is crazy thinking about it. Um, yeah. Darby and Cage is coming. But um, the fact that they were able to like do that while elevating Darby without just like beating him immediately is like that was cool. Um, so you have that uh, he goes straight for the title with Moxley. Taz and Moxley proceed to just be like who is the sharper tongued crust not crusty the sharper tongued tough guy. It is like. All right, you got Moxley, who is the CZW guy, and then you have the old time ECW guy talking about who's really tough, and you're like, you, you know, we're gonna beat your ass with the, with the machine. It was, just, it was it was so good, and you're you know, uh, Taz jumps or not Taz, but um, uh, Cage jumps him, and they get power bombing him into the back of a uh, car window. It was just it was just fun television. Like it was something that felt like. A pay-per-view build but like it was just for tv it, it was really cool yeah um also um mox and Brody lee um yeah Woo. Um. <laughs> they, had the, they had the big wwe main event title uh pay-per-view match um and they had an aew like you know the crash through the stage or the uh the the horizontal uh ramp like that that is a you know the barricade broke you know the oh um you know the the ring post can't gave out like that was that was like the best version of either one of them ever had wrestling the quote unquote WWE modern main event style when the unfortunate news passed down that Brody Lee had died recently there were three moments that came into my mind that I just felt, okay, this is terrible news. I'm glad that he got to have these three particular moments on a major stage showcasing how he was always capable of being. Mm-hmm. One of them was when he's standing across the ring from Mox before this match, where they've got this wall of people lined between them because these guys can't be allowed to go after each other until the bell rings. It's a great moment. You just kind of see them staring across the ring for me. Brody Lee looking like a badass ready to just go to war and just him being in that moment and having that opportunity, which clock two months prior to that, no one in the world would have guessed 
that Brody Lee would be standing across the ring from the world champion right. about to have. A match that all are going to look back on very fondly when we discuss pay-per-views like Double or Nothing 2020 in the future. When this show inevitably comes back up for Fusion, this will always be a match we talk about with reverence. So I thought that was that's a cool moment for Brody Lee and anyone associated with Brody Lee, anybody who looks at his career, sees all those years lost kind of as something lesser than he could have been, and then for him to have that moment was awesome. Yeah. Um, and also the, the part of the story of it is like, he still Moxley's title. He steals it. And like he shows up like as a challenger with the belt on and around his waist and around his shoulder. Like it was just, it was just a cool, it was just a cool thought of like, yeah, I've always liked pews like that where it's like, is it, is a title match and like the challenger has stolen the title off. I, I tend to, I tend to like that. Cause it's like, <laughs> that's what wrestling is about. It's like, you, we are two people fighting to the top and we have to go through each other eventually. What are we fighting for? Oh, this belt. Oh, X, Y, or Z, whatever other thing. All right, well, I'm going to take that thing from you before you actually earned it. That burns me up. I'm going to murder you now. Like, I, that, I, I, it's really easy. It's really easy. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I guess we get into the summer now. Do you want to go to yeah. uh, FTR now? Yeah, FTR uh, arrives, and um, this is like the the hot summer, as they would say. Um, it, it, wrestling out in Jacksonville, during the summertime, I imagine it was not a pleasant experience. I went to All Out, and I can tell you, sitting in the crowd, it, it was difficult at times because it was so damn hot. I couldn't imagine being in the ring. Uh, but FTR comes in, um, fresh off their release from WWE, and I think they roll in like with a lot of momentum uh, and start doing some good stuff in the, in the beginning there. Uh, Chad, when you when you saw FTR come here, I mean, we already knew what it was. Like we knew, like they were getting to the Bucks. But uh, how how do you feel about seeing these guys get free and uh, show up here in AW? Considering that the tag team division anchored AEW in its early existence, it was sort of the thing you could look at AEW for and say that's what makes them distinct as best tag team division in the world. For a team that had once challenged for best tag team in the world to be added to the mix already established was absolutely freaking incredible. Showed up. I mean, to me, that's one of the moments of the year for AEW is right after Double or Nothing when they show up. Because I'm sitting there thinking, holy crap, Revival is here. And and, and so to, for them to go on to have the year they had, it was validating. Validating to everything that we knew that they could do. And then that narrative keeps coming back when you talk about under this WWE people is we thought they could do more. We knew they could do more. They'd proven they could do more, but they could do that, that they could go to an environment opportunity to maximize what they can, uh, what they can be for this industry is just a, is something that I hope never feels like it gets old to me because moments like that with FTR with Brody Lee this year in particular was just fantastic. And I, I love that feeling. So FTR, I thought, as characters, they did a job. As wrestlers, they did a great job. So, you know, excellent when they came in. I just couldn't, I couldn't, I could not have been more excited to see. Uh, I don't know who else would have brought the same kind of feeling for me. It just kind of felt like a big deal. It'd be like, uh, you know, the best in any kind of division. And like, who's the men's wrestler in the world? 
if you knew that, you were very aware of that, then she showed up in AEW one day, you'd be thinking, sweet, we're, we're continuing to roll with this sucker. This is an amazing product. It just gets that much better every time they bring in someone who's ready to contribute at the highest level. Yeah, man. James, um, what do you think about FTR's uh, impact? And then also um, to add in, and I'll get back to you on this, Chad, like essentially this is the, the time that Cody starts the TNT Open Challenge. Yeah, uh, real quick. For, for me, FTR was, they may have been our last cut off of uh, AEW Wrestler of the Year as, as an act. Like, the Young Bucks made it. They were the only tag team that made it. Like, um, Lucha Bros and um, didn't make it. Um, FTR didn't make it. They, you know, while we don't think, aside from uh, really one match, they peaked at the level of, the you know, the Hangmans, the, um, the Lucha Bros, the... Uh, Kenny Omega's the the Young Bucks um in AEW they did consistently put out like three crank out three and a half three and three quarters you know some t- occasionally a four star thing and then you know like their best match in my opinion in AEW is um their two best matches is you know the match with the Young Bucks and also um that eight man tag so like it's not like they didn't put in good work like they had they had a bunch of good matches a bunch of them. like the the one with private party I liked a lot in particular because uh, they were able to do like their hill their classic hill stuff that we've seen them do before um and you know the stuff with Lucha Bros didn't work out in the way that we that we thought that it would except for that one match when the Young Bucks were in there but you know I'm sure if they had another go at it it would, it would work a lot better yeah um I thought like FTR when they came in, they came in with a lot of momentum. I enjoyed some of their, their more understated stuff, like with Butcher and the Blade, who are my one of my cult acts that I like. Um, <laughs> and I think that whatever they lacked in the promo stuff, and you know, is is tough to get in their promos because sometimes I think they just don't get it. But ultimately, they are a value piece of the roster because they're veterans. And if they can do nothing else, AEW has a lot of young tag teams that can work with FTR potentially. And that might be their true value to the company. Like maybe, like maybe I had it wrong with them. Like, yes, we're here for the Young Bucks and um, FTR match. However, um, now that that's out the way, it's like, well, yeah, at my first glance, I was like, well, what do they really have left? Like, I'm like, well, these guys can be as good of teachers as there could be in the promotion. Yes, there's that. And I also don't think they're done with the Young Bucks. I think just that's like, you know, they're going to have another match again in 2021 eventually. Um, yeah. But, you know, n- now that we've seen what the Young Bucks have done since full gear when they're wrestling, you know, <laughs> Kenny and Hangman, uh, FTR and the Young Bucks have basically cleared out like that 2019, 2000, early 2020 roster of tag teams. Like, there's a second wave that was on, you know, Dark, and they're now, they're, you know, FTR and the Young Bucks are about to mow through to keep themselves away from each other in the time, uh, for the time being. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to the most out of FTR is like, all right, the Young Bucks are getting to these guys first now. Um, now you guys have to go behind them and wrestle these guys second. And, you know, um, this should keep you occupied for now. You keep you away from that. Keep you away from the Young Bucks. So the T- TNT um, Open Challenge with, with Cody, uh, Chad, I don't know about you, but I thought this was like the core of the summer. Um, 
Cody's getting people jobs. You get guys that debut like Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston, and you can bring people from the indie scene like Warhorse. I've been particularly like Warhorse, but that's fine. Um, and then like individual young people getting shots at them like Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn, Sonny Kiss, um, Scorpio. What were the. Do you think this held up to other open challenges of the past, or um, do you think that this is like uh, kind of like like what like what what do you think about um, when you hear about the T the Cody title reign? Well, I mean, I will readily admit, I think that for me, it tends to get lost in the shuffle with all the other great stuff that AEW did throughout the year. It's not one of the first things that comes to mind when we're mm-hmm. talking about uh, product across twenty twenty. Uh-huh. But I, I certainly look back on it fondly for all the reasons that you mentioned. And I thought any opportunity that Cody gets to to really value to what he's trying to accomplish with this company. I mean, he's put a – some would argue I'd probably want be one of them. He, he's put an unnecessary ceiling on what he can achieve in storylines with not being able to go after the world title. So how he figures out ways to keep himself doing – varying things elevating other people and the championships that he does go for continues to be a pretty interesting story to me because Cody is obviously one of the foundational players for you. I think that uh, the opportunities that he gave to Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston in particular, that to me stands out as an achievement in a year where, um, you know, we're, we're defining what Cody Rhodes does on almost a different scale than everybody else because we're talking about him more from the angles and story type stuff that he can do, often more so than what he gets done bell to bell. Um, I think the the open challenge story was a good one for Rhodes and for everybody else, and that's and for AEW as a whole because of that impact. James, yeah. Um- it, it was a, it was up and down, and it's not because of effort or, or or lack of effort. Actually, it's it's a lot of Cody's going to do what Cody does, and for better or for worse, right? And sometimes that works out splendidly. Sometimes it doesn't. Like I don't, you know, I don't really need for him to blade against against Jungle Boy because he ran into a into a wall, like whatever. <laughs> um, or in in like the in like, you know, and then like look at other things, like even the thing that didn't work with Warhorse is like nothing that happened that didn't work out in that Warhorse match was Cody's fault. He was as giving as he possibly could have been, right? And it just didn't work out because you you know the dude just you know didn't have it that particular night or whatever else. Um, so. You know, but, you know, I really enjoyed the, the Mark Quinn match. I really enjoyed the Kingston match, even though, like, the, the last, was it, 30 seconds is like, uh. But, yeah, um, yeah, I, I thought he did a very good job with it. Um, and, you know, it, my expectations for it were, 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 were somewhere in the middle, and I felt like he over, he, um, he, he retired than, you know, me thinking it was gonna be just okay. I thought, I would say it was good. Right, flat out good, um, and it was, and also was a nice way to showcase all these people. Like obviously, you know, some of the weeks, like it felt like, damn man, it could it could have been Scorpio Sky or whatever else that could have won this thing. But you know that that's you know if we're going to present people on top and push people, um, you got to beat some people. And like that's one of the things I like about AEW and 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 stardom in New Japan is like we're going to beat you. 
like nobody's nobody's immune from you know nobody's immune and nobody's super protected or whatever else or like or being protected in those kind of ways where we got to do garbage finishes to protect someone from getting beat like if we're gonna beat somebody we're gonna pin their ass in a mat or we're gonna make them submit yeah and and uh pretty much everything you guys said like about tnt title i'll just say um he dropped it in electric fashion yes. uh getting squashed by brody lee and had me like pumping my fist in the air just with the <laughs> awesomeness of like Brody Lee just fucking killing him and then the, the after the match dumping Arn Anderson off the gurney uh Anna Jay choking out Brandy them dumping the the broken old funky TNT title throwing it on him like just an all-time like just I'm fired up moment like I, I, I it, and it was a Saturday it was by itself it was on this weird day and Oh, it just just beautiful. Yeah, um, I think the, the that was the second great Brody Lee moment. Yeah, like the perfect touch for me was like you know we've seen Brandy at times in matches between Ring of Honor and maybe even AEW, but also New Japan, where like she will jump on top of Cody because you know no man will hit a woman. Obviously, um, is is you know so what they end up doing to you know. All that stuff they did that you mentioned, and then all of a sudden, like Granny does her thing, she lays out over Cody, you know, mercy, mercy, mercy. Here's your mercy. Ninety nine, Anna J, come out and choke her the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> there, there will be no mercy in this dojo. It, it, it was just incredible. It was incredible. It was one of the, it was one of the top uh, moments or angles of the year. It really was. <sighs> and I guess like going forward from that, like, um, you know, you from here, uh, FTR is like gearing up. Uh, Young Bucks are on a tear throughout the summer. Um, Hikaru Shida's been beating everybody uh, like a drum. We didn't really talk up much about her, of course. And, you know, the women's division, we might as well, like, get that in now because, like, okay, COVID got them, international travel got them. And for honestly, I don't have a problem with, you know, them cutting back, uh, you know, the use and the focus, really, because, like, who – I'll never forget, like, when the ring announcer gets called into action, like, you just ain't got enough people. <laughs> I don't think they necessarily pulled back or gave less time to stuff. Like, I mean, this was even before the travel restrictions. We still had, you know, we would have, like, maybe, like, one out of eight shows where, like, there just was no women's match. So, like, that wasn't... So for me, it's like uh, they kind of got the same time they always got. It's just they had less availability to the people they wanted to give it to. So, like, if it were for me to like summarize this year for AEW, it would be Britt got hot turning uh, during the heel turn. Um, the pandemic cut off her fan base or cut off the fans, so she had you know, and then she got hurt. Um, Nyla and Riho had a great uh, title match. Um, Nyla was a was a very good monster champion. She dropped it off to Sheeta. They had a very good a very good great match. Um, to get it to Sheeta, Sheeta was a very good champion. She had weak challengers because there was nobody that like we they had to import the, the people correct. they had to import those people that the people that would have been those people and they weren't able to be imported because there was a COVID ban, right? Um, so. You know, they made the best out of what they did, uh, what they could. Like they brought in, they brought in um, Thunder Rosa, and once Thunder Rosa came in, they had good matches with Sheeta. Um, they had a good tag match. Um, they did the tag, the women's tag league tournament on um, on YouTube, whatever else. Um, you know, 
like that's the that's about the gist of their year in 2020. Unless you want to yeah. throw in throw out Abaddon. Hmm. I, I would like to throw out Abaddon no, uh, while we're at it. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. that it's pretty simple. You can summarize the AEW Championship year very quickly. It there's not a whole lot to it. Hikaru Shida has been a good foundational champion. I think that she's been for AEW in 2020, what I think Riho was supposed to be early on. Uh, she's just a good champion. You know, she helps build the foundation for the title, but the women's division's not going anywhere so long as its champion has no personality. And with respect to Hikaru Shida, this is not New Japan. This is not stardom. You know, if you want to get over and you want to be a big part of the show, you got to talk. You know, you got to be able to go out there and cut a promo. Part of the reason why it was a good idea to make Chris Jericho the champion to start out is because he could go every out a week and cut and talk for five to ten minutes and get people engaged. And if you don't have that skill or you don't have the ability to develop that skill because of a language barrier, then quite frankly, I think the only thing I would disagree with with you, James, is that they did not put their best foot forward because they. I think the way that they should have gone that would have done two things. It would have established the division more from character point of view, and it would have still accomplished having good matches with a lot of different people. I think they should have kept the title on Nyla Rose. I think the run as a monster heel with establishing that championship would have been the way to go because as she proved in her limited time with that title, she could cut a promo. You know, why they put her with Vicky Guerrero, why they've dropped the ball with her, I'm not sure. But if the goal was just to put the title on someone who can work. Well, I mean, that's fine, but that's also going to be the basis for people criticizing the division because the thing that people don't have in the division is any kind of investment emotionally. And you're not going to be able to do that just by having good matches with a, a bunch of different people. Sheeta was a great champion. The match that Chanel looked before that I think you guys thought was overrated and I thought was properly rated. Great performance at, uh, at Fighter Fest. The, uh, the matches she Rosa and so on and so forth. She is, uh, you know, she, she. It's time for her to lose the title. Britt Baker needs to be the champion now. It's right. that simple. Yes, that's right. when the division. We picked the. We picked next. The, Put the yeah. title on Britt Baker. Let's get back to that match that you guys praised a little while ago. Let's do it on pay per view. Let's make the title change, and let's press forward. Now, I, I don't. I, I will. With all of those comments being a little bit more on the constructively critical side, I don't care. It's not a problem for me that AEW's women's division is behind the other divisions right now because it just it doesn't have the right person to drive it forward, whereas every other division they've got has got a plethora of people who can step in and take up a ton of television time and, and lead to matches that people care about. I think the women's division will get there. This was not a year that I think helped it that much, but it did help set a foundation with Sheeta as champion. Yeah. Uh, as far as the, you saying that they should have kept, not, stayed alone with Nyla's like, okay, so I'm, I'm, if they never get to Sheeta as the champion, who are the challenges on the baby's face side? Like, I, it, cause I mean, she already beaten Statlander by revolution, Nyla. So I'm thinking in my mind, like, who would be these baby faces you'd be challenging? Like they had nothing. They had the cupboard was kind of bare for baby faces in that division. I don't know. I mean, I think you can bring in Thunder Rosa just the same and have the same kind of match, champion versus 
just champion. I think that Thunder Rosa was really anywhere, you know, any kind of major heel when they brought her in by any means. She was just right. a champion from another company. You can run back Sheeta all the same. The gaps trying to find somebody. Uh, but you were doing that the same with the with the roster as is constructed around Sheeta as champion. You're just trying to find a few people here and there to help keep the championship and her relevant. But if you do that with Nyla Rose, then you have the belt on someone who can go out there and fill in some of the gaps week to week. It's a five-minute talking segment where you're developing her for further and further. You Maybe you take, um, I don't know whatever happened to Kia Stevens, but you know you could have run that. Run that as a monster versus mar- monster type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kia Stevens. Kia Stevens. Oh, is, uh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah she, awesome she, she can't get cleared. She can't get cleared to Russell. So yeah, it, it, that, it, it is what it is with that one. Um, yeah. All right. Um, where, okay, so after that, where were we in the timeline before we moved on to um, division? Yeah, like uh, right around all out. Yeah, right around all out. Um, so <clears throat> this was around the time uh, we got the Mox and MJF feud. Um, you've got MJF going, or excuse me, you've got uh, FTR and Hangman and Kenny. The blow up of the Bucks and Hangman. Um, <clears throat> trying to think what else was on all out. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One Nation Radio. Yeah, I mean, when you, I mean, you also have the the you also well, hold on, you also have the. Do you mention the Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara thing? I did not. Yeah, that I that was... happened on that one. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think. Well, I can't remember what the. Um, Oh, was it when did Thunder Rosa come in? Was Thunder Rosa at All Out too? It was this show. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. And um, also the, the damn Mimosa match. So the Orange Cassidy Chris oh, Jericho. God. We haven't talked much about Orange Cassidy on this show. Uh, of course, he got had the awesome match with Pack at Revolution, um, and it kind of culminated in this goofy match here <laughs> on this show. <laughs> it, um, it was a great feud. They went two matches longer than it should have went. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was at this show, had a fun time with my friends, thought the Bucks match was, was awesome, I liked Moxley and um, MJF, I was I was extremely disappointed by the tag team title match, um, and this, uh, but and I liked the women's match, but the rest of this show, like, this is by far the worst major show in AEW history, and... This one had a lot, I think, to do with the weather, but it didn't get helped by any of the booking or the wrestling. When we have the tooth and nail match, as well as Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara happening in this match or this same show, along with like the eight man tag of like Cody, the Cody defense team against the Dark Order, it don't quite, it don't quite, you know, hit for me. Yeah, for me, it was a good pay per view. It wasn't a great pay per view. Agreed. Yeah, I guess uh, not really much, you know, on it. But we, you know, check out that pay per view uh, review if you want some quality rantage. Uh, I, I was very disappointed by by the tag match. The tag match had this is awesome chance before they as soon as the bell rang, and it just didn't. I don't know what happened. 
but that's the the start of the um, the Kenny Omega and Hangman Page kind of split. Uh, Kenny presents the Young Bucks with a choice to join him. They do not, and it leads us kind of into the the uh, modern day, um, you know, status for AEW. So from there, we we get the World Title Eliminator Tournament and the and the Fallout. Cody returns um, and, and gets that you know uh, that extra match with Brody Lee to where uh, the dog collar uh, match. Also, you got the Bucks starting to fire up on, on all cylinders. Like they're they're matched with uh, Jurassic Express is kind of like their um, you know road back to the belts to, to lead up to full gear. Um, also, the match where they like were dicks to private party. Yep, yep. Um, and then the F- this is the FTR Bucks build. Um, Chad. Maybe you can help us understand uh, if <laughs> if you if there was things about this build that we missed. Uh, uh, w- were there any? I don't think so. I remember listening to you guys talk with Sam about it leading up to that show, uh, leading up to Full Gear, and I don't think you really missed anything. The the one thing I would say is that um, I think what they might have been. Going was just that you didn't really have to do a lot to sell that particular match. It was something that you put FTR versus the Young Bucks on the marquee for the World Tag Titles, and it pretty much sells itself. It's kind of like Rock Hogan in a way. You know, you didn't really need to do an angle where the NWO runs over the Rock with a <laughs> truck while he's in an ambulance. I mean, just you know. You want to go one-on-one with the great one? Yes. Okay. Handshake deal. All right. Cool. You're done. That's it. You don't need else. That's just, that's just, uh, something sell it, sells it. Some things just sell themselves. And so I, I suspect what we will end up getting is more of an end on the road where we get a lot more of the television build. They had their dream match. What they presented was exactly that. You would not not you would have needed any build up to have the match they had at full gear. It was great on its own merits, based on just being like almost like a a legends match. It just sort of held up that way. When you go mm-hmm. watch it on replay, there's not that deeper emotional thing there. But for what they presented, I thought the build was okay. That just kind of was what it was, you know. I mean, it was wasn't a hit. It was that type of thing where if you're trying to rate it between three stars and five when you're being kind, you know, you'd say they did the bare minimum effort to get us where we'd be excited to see them fight. Uh, but they didn't do anything else beyond that by any means. Yeah. James, uh, FTR Bucks Bill, what you got? They slow rolled it out, and by the time. And, you know, they did some things right, like the, the thing with, uh, Hangman and FTR. I felt like they let go of that, that, that particular thread too quick. They should have kept it on to where, like, you know, maybe Hangman does end up with these guys as some type of threes, uh, not threesome, some type of, uh, you know, <laughs> what? uh, trio, <laughs> uh, some type of trio, especially given that, you know, um, where we are now with all these numbers of trios and factions we have in AEW, that would have been a cool one to have, you know, the, the cowboy in, you know, uh, and the brain busters together. Um, but it didn't work out that way. Um, the young bucks, I, they're, they're just motivations all between it. Like, you know, they weren't necessarily in, in that match, like given what we got in the match, like they weren't necessarily, um, 
super angry with FTR, even though FTR like gaslit their their stupid friend. Um, uh, and you know the injury angle as well. The whole part about you know, um, you know, if we don't if we don't win, we'll never challenge for the belts ever again. It, a lot of this stuff was just like I felt was unnecessary. I liked where they were going when they were first like tagging together at times. And FTR said, "Y'all been talking a lot of shit on Twitter. We're here now. We're gonna make sure nobody jumps you because we want you fresh. So there's no excuse when we beat you." I like that a lot more than where they ended up ultimately. Um, and like the thing that's so weird about it is they got to where they ended up like almost in like a heartbeat. And he was like, wait, what? All right, well, here's the match. So don't really pay too much attention to the fact that we've careened this into a ditch. But, um, you know, ultimately we said like, they're not saving in the match. And they did regardless of whether or not you think this is some all time classic match or you think it's just a great match. Um, they had a great match. That's re- that's really what I'm here for more than anything else. Yeah. Um, Top of this uh, full gear card uh, was John Moxley and a guy uh, Eddie Kingston, who is just kind of yeah. came out like a whirlwind uh, over this year. When Eddie Kingston debuted, it was like, oh shit! Like there are a lot of guys that you know that do a lot of things in wrestling, but the simplest thing you can do is hold the microphone. And what he does with that is sucks you all the way in, and and the wrestling's like good enough or even very good at times to where he can I think he's a guy that you can put any baby face in with because Eddie Kingston isn't shit and he tells you he isn't shit like he's just the definition of reality like he's like out of the Kevin Owens some more Joe tree like it's you know yeah like he's up it, there. yeah like if um if MJF and um Eddie Kingston were two sides of the same coin it would be like yes the coin is they're they're scumbags the pro- the difference is on one side Eddie Kingston is a bit in, in, endearing in that way where it's like you can see him becoming a baby face like he's a likable scumbag oh yeah right whereas like MJF is like nah fuck that guy I never no no thank you I don't interact with that dude ever if he's like if he like years down the line if he's at like one of these Russell Con type things like nah bro why would you go why would you go interact with that dude it's not gonna be pleasant it's not going to be pleasant. Talk to you in gimmick, right? And we've seen him do that at, at the, you know, at these um, uh, star cast things where he's just a dick to fans. You know, no thanks. <laughs> uh, this Moxley and Kingston program, Chad. Uh, what did you make of this? Well, I mean, Eddie Kingston to me I, is one of those. He's one of the more interesting mixed a lot of people have uh, this glowing opinion of him and I, I still find myself like, yes, this guy is an engaging talker. Mm-hmm. He is also who, when I was watching NWA power for the first four months of the year was getting beaten in eight minutes by nobodies. Mm-hmm. So to see him jump from that to the world title was really challenging for me. And it was on the strength of their, of their talking segments right. leading up to, gear that i was like okay cool yeah i mean i'm fine you know the rest of this is us this card is so good that um yeah i mean i can get on board with 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 this uh for the world title um but it wasn't one of those things where i looked at okay i can get on board with that as a pay-per-view main event i was like this is a perfect chance to do a tag team match in the main event because it deserves it it's you know, it's something you put it up on the marquee and it's like, bam, that's a dream tag team match. I'd love to see that. 
Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley. I mean, it wasn't something I felt like I, I needed to see on a pay-per-view. So kudos to Eddie Kingston for making himself, for, for maximizing his opportunity. But that's the type of guy who I'm going to be real curious to see what they do with him moving forward because I, I can't say that I'm itching to see him against anybody. I think that his ability to build them up sounds great. Not overly impressed by what I see in the ring. I was not overly impressed at all by that main event of Full Gear. I thought it dragged the show down a notch. Um, so to me, Eddie Kingston, to me, would be the type of guy I'd love to see more of a managerial role, like an MVP type role, like they're doing with the Hurt Business on Monday night. Put him backing somebody else. Put mm-hmm. him as the hype man for someone else. Let that be a huge part of what leads to whatever comes next. But I can't say with, with any honest that, that I'm, I'm any kind of anywhere close to as high on Eddie Kingston's year as a lot of people are. James? Um, the Kingston build, it came out of nowhere and seemingly like in the span of like four promos over three weeks, it felt like the, it felt like the, the hottest TV program AEW had. Um, and that's also coinciding with like, you know, the, the tag teams crashing the, the, I'm sorry, the, uh, the AEW, uh, tag team, um, program crashing into a ditch. So like for me, it was like, for a while, I was like, oh, "Yeah, I don't." I, that should main event the tag match, and then it's like, yeah, "Nah, this Eddie Kingston and Moxie thing, where like they're doing basically like a a character analysis of this man's entire life in front of you, like that." <laughs> for me, that was, that was so that was so gripping, and I was like, "Yeah, do that." Um, I, I like the. I thought the. I thought it was a very good match. I I didn't think it was necessarily great, but I I I enjoyed the fact that like they went out there and they were very physical and it didn't go that long. So it was also efficient in that way. Um, especially, um, and it felt like you know that whole entire card was pretty efficient. Like it felt like every almost everything except for the the um the Young Bucks match like went seemingly went like a little shorter than it should have by by a little bit like a minute or three so um for me i thought it was overall success because it's like they that that was like just spot duty that was a spot duty tag match it was like they had nothing for moxley and they just by pull out pull out their ass and it for me like the tv was so good it was like that should be up there as some of the best television we uh we saw on uh, aw this year yeah man um i i liked the feud a lot because i thought the the talking was just like um like when they talk about like um like Terry Funk versus like Jerry Lawler or something like this is what i feel like it would be <laughs> like super talking and then like just a wild ass brawl uh at the pay-per-view um th- i think full gear was their best sh- uh show like from a wrestling standpoint um you know up in for for the year uh you got the world title eliminator tournament finals with Kenny going over hangman and just like a a wonderful sprint that if it goes five more minutes, we're talking about like, you know, a super match of the year candidate. And I think that the entire tournament in itself, um, where you got your hangman and Wardlow, uh, you got, uh, different things like, uh, Kenny may go through Pentagon, uh, to get Pentagon there. Pentagon and Phoenix. Pentagon and Phoenix, like Phoenix missing, like, uh, Pentagon and Phoenix doing their match, but him, uh, getting put out of the match to, you know, we're going to get that match next week. So, uh, they're not forgetting about that. Uh, the, the, the reemergence of, of Kenny Omega as a single star, uh, kind of started before this tournament and 
and uh, crested here at the pay per view. I'd say uh, the 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 amazing entrance, uh, naming all all the stuff that drives people insane, um, and just kind of sticking it to everyone, and uh, was really great. Uh, all throughout this, uh, you got Orange Cassidy and John Silver. John Silver became a thing on BTE over uh, with the Dark Order, being the number two man for Brody Lee. Uh, Orange Cassidy. Now he's on the other side of a of a cult favorite. Kind of kind of crazy how how fast um, things happen there for you. But um, this was this is an excellent show up and down. And then you got the the uh, tag title match. Uh, Chad, um, that tag title match. How did what did this mean to you uh, when this happened? Oh man, what did it mean to me? Well. Probably not as much um, as, as it could have meant to some. I think that right now I'm in where, for me, being someone who's caught up with the Young Bucks largely through what they've done in AEW, there's this mythology they're still building and building it quite quickly, I will add. Um, FTR having established itself during it, probably the peak of my adult wrestling fandom with that 20. 20- 16 had uh, the last year of my peak as just a total diehard guy who 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 enjoys passionately hosting a weekly podcast like done for so long as well. FDR developed a reputation for me as someone who I really wanted to see in a spotlight situation just like this. So for it was really more for me more of a competition standpoint of thinking, okay, this is just not something that happens very often that we see two tag teams on this level be given the chance to have a kind of match like this. You could actually make the argument that, I mean, in in mainstream big picture, like major promotion wrestling, we've just not seen it that much. I mean, because this was not a mid card tag team title situation. This was not a, I mean, this was, this carried with it, Going back to WCD, this carried with it the same kind of spark that a Steiner Brothers versus Sting and Lex Luger had at Super Brawl 1. Mm-hmm. But it was actually two tag teams that had reached that kind of could have main evented that show at the had AEW's brass made that call. And I don't think anyone really would have batted an eyelash at it. For it to for tag team wrestling to have reached that was special, without question. So it was less of a of a dream match for me because of the teams involved and more uh, where tag team wrestling itself was getting this wonderful stage and this golden opportunity to be the one match on the show, like a Ric Flair world title match back in the day. Everybody works 15 minutes so that when you get to Ric Flair's match and he goes for 40, you know, no one's had the, no one's had the chance to, to work in the kind of, stuff that you would expect of a long match of that caliber previous to them getting that chance on the night. And now it's the tag team division being given that chance with the, with the, with the champions in a position of, of real authority in the company as one of the top drawing acts and the challengers being just as much of a top drawing act, if not more so. And it just a huge place for tag team wrestling to have reached. Yeah, man. Um, but I, I guess after that, with the fallout, um, talking about Ken, the Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. Um, so the World's Title Eliminator Tournament, uh, Kenny comes out at the end of the night and let it be known we got winners coming and the debut of Sting and 
um, Shaq shows up and the numbers, you know, for the show start, you know, pop, you know, just start going up around that same time. And it feels like AEW's hitting another, like, uh, another peak, uh, in a sense. And we get the, uh, you know, you got a three covering winner is coming off of that. So we don't need to do a whole full review on that, but got the, uh, title change flipping from Moxley to Kenny. Um, Kenny's new character taking the belt in a different direction with Don Callis. Uh, the, we've now found out he's going to be headlining the pay-per-view, uh, this month with impact. Um, Moxley hasn't been seen since the title match. He'll be making his return next week. And the death of Brody Lee and ultimately the Brody Lee tribute show. So um the this how how did you make the um and, and I'll go to James first on this one. Um the the end of the year, uh the December for AW like it's it's such a whirlwind. Um how did you you know uh how'd you like all this pretty much? <laughs> Um, it, it was, it was weird. Like, um, I felt like for the first time, um, after the, uh, the title change for Omega to, um, Moxley, uh, I felt like the first time uh, up until obviously this past because of the, the Brody, uh, tribute show, like I felt like there were two shows in the middle of the, in the middle of, the, of December where I was just like, there's going to be so there's, there's a Young Bucks match. And then there's like a bunch of promos and stuff that I like, but like as far as the wrestling in the ring, I was kind of just into it. Um, but like I still had the Young Bucks match the matches to hold me over. Uh, there might be something else I'm just forgetting. There might be in like some Kazarian match, you know, Kazarian do nothing but go hard. But, um, yeah, like, you know, uh, you know, Pac, Pat came back. Uh, Death Triangle is a is a is a, a face group seemingly so uh, so that's really cool but yeah I just um it just it, it felt like you know we're kind of in the waiting stages to get to you know you know program time and you know it seems like things are about to it would have picked up this week they'll pick up over the next two weeks when you know they get through um you know their tr- twenty to twenty twenty to twenty twenty one stuff that was delayed a week yeah. Uh, Chad, uh, same question. I think it's interesting the direction they're taking things at with the top. Since we talked last, we've seen them flesh out the the Kenny Omega's champion dynamic and him traveling the world and going and doing the Triple H. And you know, now about to be on Impact's Card to Kill pay per view. I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see where they take it next because it is definitely different. It's different than the more standard pro wrestling type of character arcs that we saw from Jericho and then from Moxley thereafter. I feel like this is when they're going to try to kind of up and, and see what they can really do. I think we all know that we're going to be in the pandemic era of wrestling for a good bit longer. So time to just ratchet up the creative juices, which you can accomplish. Uh, obviously the Brody Lee tragedy is, is just awful and, and, the, the tribute show they did for him was wonderful, uh, about as good show as you'll ever see. I thought it was very touching that 977,000 people tuned in to watch that show. It's one of the most watched Dynamites ever for it to be a tribute. Speaks volumes about AEW and its fan base, in my opinion. So I, I think that's a really cool thing. Um, but there's obviously there's a lot of people who you 
look to, to 2021 and you start to wonder what kind of years they're going to have. So I think it's it's a good place to kind of wrap it up when you talk about 2020 is there's a lot of good things they've got going on moving into 2021. A lot of interesting characters, a lot of different directions they can take. They're going to be pushing the envelope in ways they haven't yet with additions of guys like Shaq and um, you know what they're trying to do with Sting. A lot of a lot of big questions need to be answered, but I'm I'm curious to see how they go. And I've developed through the year 2020 trust that they're going to figure it out and do it well. Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to uh, to leave it. Uh, I'm very excited as well um, about the world title scene, and um, I think getting the belt on Kenny right now, um, knowing that the miles that he has on him, this is the perfect time to do it. So whenever he needs to quote unquote go get fixed, we can, we can get like some quality work from him in the meantime and exciting work with Don Callis coming in. The young Bucks are tag champs now and the, the Bucks have turned their attention towards like some of the lower ranked teams, you know, running through before they build back up to whoever their main program is going to be with. Um, Dark Order is going to be, you know, a big question now uh, with Brody Lee's unfortunately uh, passing away. Uh, how does it continue? They're going to have to answer a lot of those questions, but um, they had a lot of questions to answer a year ago, too, about the Dark Order, and they figured that out. Um, unfortunately, there's not going to be a Brody Lee to navigate them this time. So uh, with that, he was able to, um, you know, to help make a couple of stars in that group. So I think they'll be fine as a unit. Um, James mentioned Def triangle being back. Always great to get three awesome workers in. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to see where Cody goes from here. Like, so uh, James. Yeah. Um, interesting to see what they do with Dev triangle. Interesting to see what they do with Moxley um, coming out of losing the title in, um, yeah, um, I am. I'm wondering who. I I really hope that the person they get up in the bullpen eventually to take um, the title off of Omega is Hangman Adam Page. I'm not saying it needs to be in the next six months. I, I, I I'm not going that far, but it would be cool if you know whether it's double or nothing. Um, I'm sorry, whether whether it's all out or if it's um full gear. We get to it, and they have their return match, and he topples his dude, and we we say like, look, 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 look what they've done over the past, um, you know, really like two years between Kenny Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. Um, so that's what I'm most looking forward to in mm-hmm. 2021, uh, all elite wrestling. Um, I'm also I'm also looking forward to you know figuring out um what they're going to do with all these trios. Yeah, trios belts feel like they're on the way. So or at least a tournament. Far off at this point. Like maybe yeah. if not a maybe if not a belt, um, at least a tournament. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, AEW Dark all this year, um, and I watched the majority of them. Uh, just seeing what they've done to give opportunities to lots of independent wrestlers everywhere to stimulate the wrestling economy. Um, there weren't a lot of places to work, and they turn dark into like this super show every week. Um, basically it, as a favor to putting a lot of these people in the audience, you give them some television time and you're, you're getting a couple fines on there. Like someone like a Will Hobbs and 
Uh, Ricky Stars has been awesome on Dark. Uh, Scorpio Sky has been awesome on Dark. They've been bringing wrestlers like left and right. Uh, there was a team called Bear Country I, I just saw last week. It's just like there's there's tons of great wrestlers everywhere. And uh, Ben Carter uh, they brought in, and he had some great matches, a great match with Lee Johnson. Um, and I, I think Dark has been a hell of a tool for like them to uh, identify talent and also uh, try things out. Like Britt Baker has her segment, The Waiting Room, on there. I think it'll be on Dynamite at any any moment at this point. So I guess it's time uh, to get into our top um, ten matches. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, Chad, will you start us off? Number ten. I am going to go with Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho from Fighter Fest. Mm. Looking across my list, it's 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 looking at ones that stand out amongst the pack because we're talking about a company that produces four star matches on the regular every week. Their pay-per-views are full of them, or at least are expected to be. Jericho versus Orange Cassidy was a diamond in the rough, a microcosm of the year that Orange Cassidy had. An awesome year for Orange Cassidy, zooming into the consciousness of mainstream wrestling fans. He's great. This match is a, is, is a, is a gem. Um, I'll, my number 10 will be John Moxley versus Brody Lee from Double or Nothing. Uh, big fight field title match. Within two minutes of the match starting, you know you're about to see some shit because they're brawling all over, uh, the, the, the ringside area. There's like, they're going through the spades that are set up and you're saying like, hold on, man, this Brody Lee dude, like, <laughs> like this is a, this is a mountain of a man and John Moxley DDTing him through the stage and then Brody Lee coming back from that stage and eventually going down to that, um, to that chokehold. Um, I won't forget that match. Like as Chad mentioned, that's going to be one like now that even upon reflecting on it from the past couple of days, it's just like, um, damn, so much of that guy, uh, Brody Lee is like left on the table. That was Mosley's first like pay-per-view program. And, and they saved it with the match. They didn't really have much build to work with due to, you know, the compressed nature, but, um, kicked ass. Number 10 for me, Hikaru Shida versus Britt Baker, uh, April 8th of Dynamite. Um, one of the, one of those matches we talked about earlier in, in Georgia, they just stood out. Um, one really expected it and just all of a sudden, like, Britt's having the best match of her career. And, um, Shida's carrying her through and the nose is busted and it's fortuitous. And she, she, you know, at, at, as a, as a, uh, as a elite level worker that she has, uh, shown herself to be this year, she mugs for the camera and <laughs> she gets merch off of it. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a, it was a moment where I was like, forget the promos. Like, this is the match that, that pays off all the work she's done to get to this point, And she's going to be champion, you know, in a, in nine months to a year. And we're going to look back and be like, this was the start of something. That number nine for me. Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page versus SCU from the ship of Jericho. Nice. That Omega and Page won the tag team titles. Probably, in my opinion, the most underrated AEW match all year. I felt that way within the first three months of the year. We're talking about the match between Omega and Page and the the Lucha Bros from like the next week or two weeks later as being far superior to this. And I thought to myself... If you look at the setting of the ship of Jericho on that cruise liner, awesome, 
only an AEW type of setting right there. Uh, right. Combined with the work that those two teams did that night, I've rewatched it again. I think it holds up. I think SCU kind of had a disappointing championship reign. So, so it, they went out on a bang and got off Omega and pitch run to a really hot start. Um, number nine, Cody versus Wardlow. Uh, the steel cage match in Atlanta. Man, a special night. A night that, like, I started thinking about wrestling shows, like, over, you know, the the past couple years, and it's just like everything came into play that night from the Battle Royals to the match Chad just mentioned, and then this, Cody moonsaulting off the cage, him cutting that promo and the video leaking out. I've never felt more connected to Cody um, then in that match, and Wardlow is just proven to be the Brit Baker scouting department. Uh, thank her for Wardlow because Wardlow has come in and not missed since this moment. And this was way, this was better than the MJF match. Everything that they missed on for me in the, in the MJF match, they hit on for the uh, Wardlow and Cody match. Number nine for me, um, Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara at WWE, at AEW Revolution. Um, just a, <laughs> just an ultimate, like, uh, first half of a card, undercard match with two dudes that are, you know, you think you have future, uh, potential in, and they went out there and they killed it. Um, just, just, I hope they have another, you know, five of these over the next three years. Number eight for me. Cody Rhodes versus Brody Lee, the dog collar match from the early October Dynamite. I went back and forth. I'm 100% in agreement with everything Rich shot the match with Brody Lee and John Moxley from Double or Nothing. I went back on back and forth over which to put here, but uh, the enduring memory of this being Brody Lee's last match uh, and how great that feud and rivalry was leading into the fall months and I'm a sucker for a dog collar match, man. I mean, there's only been a couple in history that have been a of note. Uh, my book, my second book, The Greatest Matches and Rivalries of the WrestleMania Era, features a nice little chapter back in the, I think, the 70s or 80s section, uh, being the ranked 70s and 80s, not the decades, of uh, Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper at Starcade 83. It reminded me of that match. It did so on purpose, apparently. And uh, just a tremendous. If you're gonna if you're gonna close out your career unexpectedly, that's a good way to do it for Brody Lee and Cody Rhodes. Certainly, uh, you know he came to he came to play as usual in those big time situations. Number eight for me: uh, the Young Bucks versus the Butcher and Blade, um, the Falls Count Anywhere match. Um, they showed up. And the Butcher and the Blade have been, uh, we were wondering who the fuck they were when they first came. And then this year, like, they started wearing white and showing just more hints of personality slowly and, uh, proving that they were a really good team in the ring. They were, they were somebody, they didn't need to be the first, second, or third best team in the division, but they, when, when they got to wrestle the first, second, and third team, like, it just always was awesome. And this was the best example of it. Wild, crazy brawl all over the arena crazy stunts and at the end of the day the bucks like standing tall on their road to back to the titles and the butcher and the blade helped get them there uh number eight for me Rio versus nyla rose aw women's title match february 12th um 
this match was a the best version of all the prior matches they had, whether it was a triple threat match that had um Yuka Sakazaki in it or their original um title match. And it throws in the the the, the element of the Kenny Omega uh relationship um with with uh Riho where you get these Snapdragon suplexes. Um this was this was the, the night of the title change. I I felt like it was the right time to, to pull the trigger on that and um you know I felt like Nala was off to the race at the time. Unfortunately, you know, she who knows what they actually had planned or whatever else, but like, you know, like everything else with COVID, like it screwed up a bunch of stuff, but um, I thought this was a great match, and like for those two to get over the way they did in Austin, Texas, is a hell of a job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Number seven for me, Darby Allen defeating Cody Rhodes to win the TNT Championship at Full Gear, a show that I think I undersell how much I appreciated, despite my 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 dis. My- my genuine, my general dislike of the main event that night. I thought that pay-per-view was awesome, as you'll see from my choices to come. First one from that <laughs> night, Cody versus Darby. Hell of a match. Absolutely fantastic to me. Another one of those ones destined to be underrated because of the show on which it took place. There were two matches that I'll mention momentarily that rightfully were praised as, as superior to this, but I didn't think that the gap was that wide. This was not a Notre Dame-Alabama gap, so to speak. This was uh, a tremendous match, uh, finally culminating Allen getting the win over Cody. I loved that match. I implore you go back and watch it again. It will impress you to a little bit greater extent the more you watch it. It's that type of match. Um, up next, I've got number seven would be the Young Bucks versus FTR. Um, this was Lakers versus Celtics, um, from the, um, uniforms to the wrestling style. Um, and this was a, a, a big match, uh, that has been built up for years and years. Um, I knew the build, you know, I knew what I saw off TV and I know what I, what I saw on TV and watching this match was just, it was just a joyous highlight reel, I think between, between two awesome opponents and the young bucks would win those, uh, AW tag team titles. It finally felt right. The, the belts came home where they were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, number we are eight, right? No, not eight. We're on six. Seven. Seven. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm moving, I'm shuffling it uh, between three matches right now between, uh, his, his place. So, uh, because they're all related to each other. So what I'll do is pay Adam Page versus Wardlow, AW, uh, world title eliminating, eliminator tournament, uh, semifinal match. Um, it was on, uh, the 22nd of October. Opening match came in, Wardlow just, the future is so bright with that dude. I'm, I'm, I'm buying as much stock as you can sell on that dude. He ain't missed yet. Uh, Hangman in a spot to where he's not with Kenny Omega. He's not with the Young Bucks. Uh, in like he's in there with a young guy. Let's see, let's see what he can do as far as the quote unquote caring aspect. And like they went out there and they had an incredible monster versus babyface match that was physical and, and, and impressive and athletic. And I can't wait to see. Uh, uh, what those two have in store for each other over the coming years. 
random note before I get to my number six. I love how much variation there have been in our choices so far. This is I'm about to name the first time I actually had a had something show up on on consecutive lists. Number six for me, FTR against the Young Bucks at full gear. Um, Rich said it was. I'll add that someone wrote about it that it was a love letter to pro wrestling tag teams history, and uh, I think that pretty much says. Um, I, I actually kind of thought it might actually it might end up being a little bit higher on my list, but when I wa- when I rewatched it, I will say I, that. The initial viewing, the magic of the initial viewing, I, I think I ended up landing somewhere in the middle. If I recall your respective thoughts, James and Rich, after the show, Rich was really, really high. James was still high, but not quite that high. I think I ended up landing somewhere in the middle. But nevertheless, it's my sixth favorite match from AEW in 2020, so it certainly wasn't bad. Um, <clears throat> number six match for me, the Young Bucks and FTR versus the Lucha Bros and Butcher and the Blade uh, on AEW Dynamite. An absolutely electric, fast, super working match. Um, something you would have seen on PEWG, Canadian Destroyers over the top rope, crazy ass just like uh, spots with Nick Jackson and Phoenix and um, just... Uh, and the Butcher and the Blade, you know, being awesome and the Lucha Bros, like, getting that win there that they needed. And just, I thought this was like, as soon as I saw this match, it was like, this is fucking incredible. <laughs> uh, number six for me, uh, the other semifinal uh, to the uh, tag team, <laughs> I'm sorry, to the AEW uh, World Elimination. The tag, the, the the world title tournament. I, I'm sorry. Uh, so, uh, Kenny Omega versus uh, Pinto Pentagon, or I'm sorry, Penta El Cerro Mero, uh, Mero. Yeah, just um, an incredible match. Just they beat the crap out of each other. They 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 wrestled uh, very much in the style that I enjoy watching Kenny Omega wrestle in, which is like, I, you know, he he gets in there with the luchador and they just go out there and they and they basically like have like a house show match. Except it's physical. It's, it's it's really fun. It's really fun to watch them do their thing. Um, it's, it seems like they're freestyling. It's kind of effortless. But um, just enjoyed the hell out of the match. Enjoyed that run that I got out of Pentagon and Phoenix. Um, after complaining and bitching and moaning about like where the hell are these guys on TV over the summer? Like to come for them to come in and fall and lay out those matches just like just a blast. Number five for me: Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page. At full gear, best opening pay-per-view match, pay-per-view opening match in AEW history to sets the tone for everyone else to try to follow it. That's the type of small distinction that carries a lot of weight with me personally. And looking at history of promotions, history of pay-per-view and wrestling in general, I, I agree with what Rich said shortly after that, that if five more minutes, they were well on their way to a five-star match. I look forward to the, the day when they get extra five minutes or more. And they have that five-star match because I think they've clearly showed that they've got it in them. Great chemistry between these two guys. I mean, if it ends up going down to where we see Omega being the guy or Paige being the guy who upends Omega's title reign, we'll look back at this and have to watch it again and again before we watch the rematch where Paige beats him because this was tremendous. Uh, number five, uh, the parking lot brawl between the best friends and proud and powerful. 
one of the best street fights I've ever seen. I heard it was shot all in one take. So this wasn't any cinematic editing. This wasn't, you know, any bullshit. This was two teams beating the hell out of each other. Incredible spots, creativity, and uh, just gifable moments. And those are important um, <laughs> in this day and age. And I think that um, for PMP and also best friends to get that main event and show that, yo, um, PMP is waiting to break out at any moment. Uh, I would throw them in the, the, the list of names to potentially take the belts off the Young Bucks and best friends who I haven't always been impressed by, but in a street brawl environment, Chucky e. T's like a god and also... Trent is one of those wired different people. So, um, yeah, this was awesome. Number five for me, continuing on the tradition of the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament. I'm going with the first round match between Pentagon and Ray Phoenix. Brothers destroying each other. I believe the date was, uh, I can't remember the broadcast date, but whatever. They, they went out there and they had a different version of a match we've seen, me and Rich have seen before in, um, oh, I think that was in New York. They won't, they had like a seven minute match and it's just like them just doing a bunch of stuff and like they're, they're calling it as they're going and there's no real like, it's just, it's just brainless awesomeness and that's what this match was and I, I loved it. I just loved it. <laughs> Number four for me is MJF versus Jungle Boy from Double or Nothing. I only rate it ahead of Omega and Page because Omega and Page, they left something on the table. Uh, I think we know that those two guys could have gone five minutes longer and had that much better of a match. MJF and Jungle Boy maximized what they were given that night. There is no... I can't imagine how that match could have been any better by being any shorter or longer. MJF versus Jungle Boy... Two dates is the perfect example of that second spot on a pay-per-view card, how to just have a match that blows everyone's socks off, but may not be considered the greatest thing in the world on the night of, but that everyone appreciates. And as they look back on it in years to come, they're going to see it as one of the most rewatchable performances in mid-card AEW history, a breakout performance from MJF and Jungle Boy. Something that we'll look back on when they're main eventing pay-per-views regularly in the future and say that was the moment we all knew both were going to be there. Number four, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page, the World Title Eliminator Tournament. Um, just the return of um, Kenny Omega to pay-per-view as a single. Can Hangman Page really hang on the elite level as a worker? Uh, we found that out. Um, that night, um, I think that that was one of those chapter one matches or a great chapter in the story uh, of Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. And, um, this, this one, you know, it, it got Kenny into the position to, to challenge the world title. Um, Hangman is, it delays his ultimate destination for a while, but he's going to have to go through some stuff to actually get there and, and beat that guy that he, uh, struggled with on this night. And this was a, uh, you know, this is this was New Japan uh, imported in the the best the good part of New Japan, not the evil New Japan, not you know that stuff. We're at number four now, right? Yeah, yeah. Number four for me, correct? Yeah, uh, the 
best friends versus um, Santana and Ortiz, the back lot, the back lot brawl. I believe that was on the 16th of September. This this match came after, um, I believe we got this match like the week after we got uh, the you know to to us the disappointing um, title change for FTR beating Hangman and Kenny, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember like after that match in the thread because I was looking it up just now, uh, the social suplex thread. I was like, "There's your four and a half star uh, tag team match." Uh, they they a lot of um a lot of smart stuff that happened in in, in um smart thinking for spots um just uh and even cute stuff in the nice storytelling part of the end where um where Trent's mom at the end and throws a middle finger at those guys after they screwed up her van and 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 tied off a night uh, uh and tie that 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 plot off uh in a nice way uh really enjoyed the effort by by those guys they they beat the little crap out of each other and they you know they came up with something you should be, they should be very proud of. Number three for B, Stadium Stampede at Double or Nothing. That was just so much fun. So cathartic. Such a necessary cog in the wheel of my life in 2020 and rebounding out of the early pandemic funk and getting back to a, a better better headspace that just capped off a wonderful night. And rewatching it, it's still a lot of fun. I mean, it's not the type of thing I'm going to queue up on the regular, like MJF versus Jungle Boy, when I just need to get my wrestling fix of, of, of work rate. But it's something that I'll probably watch once a year and have a smile on my face thereafter for 10, 20 minutes. Number three, Stadium Stampede. Um, <laughs> this was brilliant. Um, a lot of smart minds in the room putting this together. People that have a... Um, that are in touch with the world we actually live in and not nothing was forced. Nothing was overdone. All the right notes were played um, between the music to give us what we got. Uh, big night for the elite. Um, big night for, for the inner circle. Uh, you know, as you know, look, looking back like the inner circles, I feel like is on the verge of changing uh, radically. Uh that initial five man unit, like that's, you know, that program was where they were standing tall and, and looking like killers. Uh, and this was like, it was a great wrestling match. It was a great comedy match. It was a great quote unquote cinematic match. It was, uh, I had everything you wanted. Number three for me, Kenny Omega versus page at, AEW full gear the the final of the te- of the um, AEW World uh, Eliminator Tournament World Title Eliminator Tournament um, built been building for it for literally <laughs> about a year right uh, from the time they get done with uh, both uh, both of them at full gear to uh, and they both fail and they find each other as friends to that tag run to um, you know the breakup to you know them basically. Um, meeting each other at, at 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 the top to see who's going to get this title shot. I I thought it was a great year of, of of storytelling, and I think you know by the time we got to the beginning of the match, the end up outside the ring, and Kenny uh, Omega ends up hitting that um, moonsault off of like that stair that weird staircasing thing. You already yeah. knew you were on to something great, and it was just so well paced. Um, and you know, it, it I think it was paced that way to where you can get a great match, and they left stuff you know it. 
in the chamber for a, a eventual return match, and I, I expect it to be better. I just do. Um, so, um, just we're about to see a lot of Kenny Omega out of my out of the rest of this top three for me. Yeah. Ditto. Number two for me, the singles match of the year for AEW. Kenny Omega versus Iron Man match from the Go Home show for Revolution. Uh, an absolutely fantastic performance from both guys. Probably if you go and you look on Grapple and you just do 2020 and Dynamite, um, you may find it to be among, if not the highest rated AEW match outside of the number one on my list. I think AEW really has, has given Pac a proper platform to showcase what he can be. Pac is someone who I've always thought was awesome. I, I just, from the, the time I watched his match with Sami Zayn at TakeOver Our Evolution and at the to end 2014, I've been sold on Pac and have bought a lot of Pac stock. His run as cruiserweight champion, WWE was amazing. It's been nice to see him have the chance to be a top 10 level guy to even have a ceiling of being even more than that, to be someone who you could maybe look at as a who might get a world title run someday. I mean, he is that good. Everything about Pac, to me, um, it, as, as much as this was obviously a great Kenny Omega match, this was Pac platform to showcase. This is why I can be a top star around the world. Yeah, man. The first 15 minutes of this match is just lightning speed. And I'm talking about the same match, Pac versus Kenny Omega, number two. Um, lightning speed, perfect execution of moves, danger, highlight real stuff. Uh, I'll never forget Pac doing the shooting star press on the Kenny while he was outside the ring laying on a table. Um And for a 30-minute Iron Man match, the best one I've ever seen. Um and I, I can't believe, like, you know, it, it's amazing, like, when you take the single stuff away, how people forget about you, uh, in Kenny's case. And then in PAC, it was, like, uh, the third match of their series where he was kind of the dominant person uh, leading up. You know, of course, he got to win the first time, and Kenny even the score. But narratively, like, PAC, it, it seemed like Kenny was, like, had his eyes on other stuff, but he always had to deal with that pack guy. And this was the match where they ha- they got to deal with each other. And I don't think you could find a better opponent for either of them in the promotion. Maybe. Not, I don't know. There, maybe there are a couple guys. Yeah. Um, I agree with that sentiment. They're, there's about as good as opponents. They're ever going to get with each other in AEW. Um, at, with the roster where it is right now. Um, yeah. Um, Stop me if you heard this, but my number two match is Pac versus Kenny Omega, thirty man Iron thirty minute <laughs> Iron Man match from February twenty sixth. Um, yeah, this I'm, you guys already said what your your pieces are, so I'm not going to go any further. All I'm going to say is this match is what I thought the promotion was going to be initially when you get Kenny Omega and and the Young Bucks and, you know, other guys that, you know, also have wrestled in the G1 and stuff. This is what I thought the promotion was going to be, and I thought this was what most of the matches were going to be. If you look at my my, uh, my top ten, it is mostly singles matches um, and a couple tag matches, but that mostly I thought it was going to be, like, New Japan of America. 
obviously not the that name because it's a punk because you know that's her actual name, but I thought it was going to be like New Japan West. And, New Japan West. Yeah. Um, and there's still hope for that. This this gives me this gives me reason to hold on. Please, please. Please, oh, uh, I, I, I would probably have to challenge you on that. Like, we already got a new Japan. Like, AEW is going to be AEW at this point, and this is part of AEW. Hey, a man can dream. Don't take my dream away. <laughs> I'm talking. Yeah. About, I'm just talking yeah, about I mean, the good matches that... anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I think fifty, a good fifty-fifty split would be nice. Uh, personally, uh, I'd be good with that. Number one for me, um, what really number one in a, in a lot of years for me, and, and that's Omega and Page against the Young Bucks at Revolution. We've already talked a little bit about it. There's not a whole lot levels of praise you can't reach when praising this particular piece of, of performance art, because that's what it is. It is everything that's great about pro wrestling. It is everything that is great about the various styles of pro wrestling. I think that uh, anybody out there on the internet who's saying that the young butts are just spot monkeys need to take a big ration of crow and shove it in their mouth because these guys are absolutely fantastic storytellers too. All that spot stuff can do it and it's a glorious to watch aesthetically, but they also engage you emotionally with the character work that they put forth. And when you add in, Everything that Omega and Paige were doing as a tag team, particularly Hangman and the momentum he was building as a character, who basically just got over by being independent. That's the story, James, and we've talked about it, trying to trying to better define it on TV, but that's the, that's the story. This is a guy who's ready to do it his way and, and sink or swim, it, and all he wants is a shot, and all he wants is an opportunity, but he's conflicted about it because the guys that that helped prop him up on the way. Um, you know, he, he's got a, he's got an attachment to them like anybody would a mentor. So it, it was, it was the, the, re, the recipe that, that they used on the night for revolution was just one of those nights where everything just clicks. Everything clicks the time, the character, the selling, the near falls, the climax, the, the, the crowd engagement, every single element that makes for an absolute all-time classic match was here in this one, and it's just, it's unforgettable. Number one, Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, AEW Revolution. I remember the entrances for all these guys. Um, the Bucks normally are getting cheered everywhere they go, not tonight. This was Hangman Page's sound. Uh, they loved Kenny Omega too, but this was Hangman Page's uh, coming out party and seeing these guys put that together uh, I've been a self-professed I've been following the elite for years now and this is the best match the elite has ever had with each other this is the best match um, in the promotions history this is the best match of Hangman's career probably the best match of the Bucks career as well and it's just like it adds on to you know Kenny Omega's like legacy that he just like all the callbacks, all the the spots. It's magic, straight up. Number one, I'm not even gonna joke about it. Number one, Kenny Omega and Adam Page versus the Young Bucks. 
I was gonna, I was gonna pull on something like, I don't know, Cody versus Warhorse or something would be funny, but not even gonna do that. Um, yeah. AEW World Tag Team Title Match Revolution at Revolution. Um, an incredible match. It is, in my opinion, somewhere tie in a three-way tie for the best tag matches I've ever seen in my life that are just straight tag matches and traditional tag matches. Um, like, so regardless of, you know, where you put it, five star, six star, whatever the hell, it's up there. It belongs in the Pantheon. It deserves to be discussed. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's a match of the year contender. What the hell on that list? Huh? Sorry. What the hell? What the hell is tied with it? Oh, uh, Golden Lovers versus Young Bucks and um, FT or not FTR, but Revolution or Evo- not Revolution uh, Revival versus um, DIY from Brooklyn. Not like Brooklyn, but Toronto. Those would be the three the three best tag matches I've ever seen, in my opinion. Uh, so yes, and they're tied. Depends on my mood on the day. Okay, fair enough. Okay, like pretty continue. much, be like whichever, whichever one I saw, whichever one I saw last, I'd be like, "Oh, damn, that's the best one." That's probably worse out for me. Um, yeah, so that I mean, you guys have already took the cake. Like, it's an incredible match, an incredible match, layered with storytelling and um, athleticism, and just just great sense of 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 having the crowd in its like in its palms and just taking it on a ride. Yeah, man. You know what this further evidence is, right? This further evidence is that pro wrestling greatness is not totally subjective. For the <laughs> thousandth time. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, we it's just when you start grading all that stuff out, like, that match hits on a level that's, like, very rare, um, to say the least. And I've watched it at least three times, maybe four. It's never dropped off for me. And it's like, it's like, I remember where I was watching. I remember how the crowd felt coming through the television. First time I watched it. I only wish I was there in the building. (sighs) Oh, well. Oh, I've only watched it live that one time in like, the same thing for the Young Bucks in um, Golden Lovers match was like I've only watched it one time. I don't. I, I'm not gonna like. I'll, I'll go back and I'll watch him someday eventually. But it's like, what well, I need to go back for? I already know it's. I already know in my mind is is it no worse than three? It's no worse than top three for me. I don't need to see this shit again not that often. I might. I might wear off the magic. So um, I'm glad that you've watched it a few times and it still holds up to that magical level. So that's great. But like, I don't need to go. Like when we do like Baton and Walter, I've only watched Baton and Walter twice. Yeah. I don't need to go back. I don't need to see Shingo and Osprey uh, more than twice. I'm good. Like. We'll go back to it eventually if I ever need to do some like best of uh, O&R era like decade of podcasting thing. But I'm good. I remember how good that fucking match is. It's going to take something incredible to, to be able to be on pace with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Chad, Ch- I want to thank you for going overtime with us on this uh, podcast. Uh, uh, can you give us your plugs, please. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, guys. Um, plugs. Well, I, I've restarted the Doc Set podcast. It is now just covering a wide range of topics. It's it's underway. I've done a, about three or four different shows though, thus far, and it encompasses a lot of different topics, pro wrestling among them, which will become a 
probably a bigger topic coming up as we enter what is in my life wrestling season, beginning with Wrestle Kingdom coming up in a few days. Uh, you can reach me at the at uh, what the heck is my Twitter handle right now? It's it's Chad McIntyre thirteen. Um, that sounds you right. can listen to the doc says the doc says is, is available on every platform. So just, 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 just do a search for the doc says we'll find it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. You can always check out the books I've written in the past on, uh, on wrestling history, trying to posit that, that wrestling greatness is, is objectively subjectifiable. Uh, the greatest matches and rivalries of the WrestleMania era previously mentioned the WrestleMania era, the book of Sports Center, as well, ranking the greatest wrestlers of the WrestleMania era. So, yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt, man. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I guess I'll wrap it up from here. Um, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, be sure to rate us on whatever app you're using to listen to this with. Um, be sure to tell the folks about Soul Suplex Podcast Network. Be sure to visit ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex and pick up some official Social Suplex Podcast Network merchandise. And be sure to check out the other shows on the network, um, or all the shows on the network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio. On Tuesdays, we have Keeping a Strong Style. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Podcast. On every other Wednesday, we have Gorman Washer Shit. On Thursdays, we have the Grave Consequences Podcast. On Fridays, we have 8-Bit Suplex. On Saturdays, we have All Things Elite. And on Sundays, we have Great Match Generator. Thanks for listening, y'all. Later.